Okay, so this is kind of an afterthought. I wanted to spend a few minutes because I just got out of the after show on System Update, which is Glenn Greenwald's program. And that's usually a fun room because he brings out the dogs and he has fun dogs in his room and he talks um, about a variety of different uh, topics and things that he's covered and worked on and uh, some of the things that he's talking about right now that are pretty interesting and I think relevant so that I would have to talk to you about it uh, would be the, the national security complex, which is kind of metastasized into many Akira like monstrosities that just kind of keep blobbing out there. Uh, you know, the outrage industrial complex, for instance, you know, I was just having a thought today. It wasn't really a peaceful thought. I'm like, how can people sustain this level of outrage? People are chronically like, ah, ah, this thing, this thing, chronic crisis, panics, moral panics. You know, you're always wrong. You're wrong. Oh my God. You know, and everybody's afraid of being wrong and then being tossed out of the platform. And it's like, why are we bring, why are we being driven into a platform dependency that doesn't support us anyway? From the from the very instance of where I come into the most of the platforms that I use today, you know, they're dependent on me and my data. I have to contribute. I don't always get back what I put in. In fact, frequently I don't I don't get back what I put in. They license the content that I make so that they can surveil the people that I bring to the table, which sucks. Um, and then, you know, the, there's the back end part of this where the money comes in. The model is completely predatory. It's all based on consumer surveillance and surveillance modeling of, of, of the entire the entire aperture, I mean, the whole thing is based on surveillance and monetized surveillance, you know, which is a chronic complaint. It's, it's not like a little complaint. It's like a chronic complaint, you know, and there's no doctor that's going to soothe or, or take care of this malady because it's how they make money. And they really have kind of a, a stranglehold on things because they've architected something that both gives them control and makes them money at the same time in a very, very top-down predatory way. And they're not, they're not ready to let go of this at all. In the meantime, they keep stirring the pot so that you will draw more people towards yourself and keep these phony outrages going. I mean, they're phony in a lot of cases. You know, people will, will ostracize and, and throw someone off the internet for some, you know, outrageous thing that they did today. And then they'll, they'll actually recruit somebody like Nicki Minaj to have a beef and it won't be real. It'll just be like something over. Well, we're going to have a, a, a house, a, a Hollywood housewives incident. We're going to create one out of thin air so that there could be quote unquote drama. And then you know, there will be some kind of cat fight and then people will go, oh my God, there was a cat fight and nasty things were said and la 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 la. And then that is supposed to draw people. 
So um, sometimes platforming isn't isn't easy at all. You know, like I can't come on Colin and be an influencer here because I get people to come into the room, but then my outreach is completely deprecated by the platform because their algorithm says, oh, you said something that I didn't like. Or someone got cranky about that thing that you might have said that I took the way that I took and I decided it was hate today, even though on, on a, on last Tuesday, it wasn't hate, but today it's hate. Today it's hate. So because today it's hate, I'm going to, I'm going to make a complaint about it and I'm going to get that taken down and you're not going to have anything to, to say about it because there's no arbitration. It's just all accusations are true. All accusations are true. And there is no court system. You can be ambushed at any time for any reason. There is no justice. It's complete anarchy. And no one trusts that. That is not a trustworthy system at all. So I don't even know why people use the internet right now. <laughs> you know, the only thing I can think of is that the internet is a compulsory organ that employers use in order to do the things that they've do, done. And now Bill Gates has his optimal wish that we are dependent on machines instead of the other way around. And we shouldn't be dependent on machines. Machines are required for us to, to do things. They're supposed to be helpful, they're, but they're not supposed to, you know, we, we don't need life support at all vectors of our humanity. The people who built the technologies are behaving in a very parasitic way so that you will, you'll be confined to needing them. It's like kneecapping the queen so that you can have her in an easily controlled space, like in The Favorite. Did anybody see the, the film The Favorite? Well, in that film, two, two sycophants, that had this underboss relationship with the queen um, through a variety of different manipulative sexual and other, other sundry favors uh, got the queen to become subordinate to them. But at the same time, they were also trying to, to, to do things. <laughs> so, so the favorite was, was all about controlling the figurehead. And, and being a manipulator to control the figurehead. And one of the things that the second one came in to do after marginalizing the first one, kicking out the first one, like the cuckoo ki kicking out the legitimate of the nest, um, was that she kneecapped, she literally kneecapped the queen. So hobbled the queen so that she could not do anything, uh, go very far and was in constant need of, of uh, medical attention so that, that the work of the court would come to her in her bedroom rather than her having to go to the court. So why is that not like what we're doing right now with, uh, you know, return to the office and the whole debate with return to the office? So I think, I think people naturally are compelled by their nature to hunt to gather and seek. Let's see who's with me. Oh, hey, Miranda. How's it going? 
I haven't seen you in 10 moons or whatever. How, I hope you're doing all right. Um, send up an emoji if, if you're, uh, if you're doing okay. So what I wanted to remark upon was that the national security complex isn't, it's not, it's not, uh, oh, you're in Colorado with your bestie. Good for you. Um, <clears throat> that's so weird. Um, I, I'm, I'm hemming and hawing, but I'll get to it. The national security piece of this that I would have told Glenn Greenwald that I didn't get to tell him is that there's so many people who live in like fear and um, there's this, this cloud of spookery around um, the national security state. And, you know, it's there for a reason. You know, they really could kill a citizen, but... You know, they, they don't do that on a regular basis. And, I, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm going to send you that question and make you think about it because, like, what stops them from doing that? What's the prohibition from them actually reaching out and touching a person? And I can tell you that because in the past, when there has been overreach in context of like MK Ultra and other programs, when they have overreached against the American citizen, they have been sued. And in the case of the CIA, that agency is extremely aggressive against the American citizen and the citizen won. And so in case of MK Ultra, there were at least 1 million people impacted and people who had plaintiff um, reports and, and then it, it got down to a class action suit. And then those people, I think they're in their seventies now. They're still getting checks from that agency for remunerations for being messed with during MK ultra. And there are people with absolute horror stories that I have met throughout my life. I have had a such an unusual tour on this planet. Um, you know, I met a woman from Planet, uh, Project Stargate. It's tough to get out sometimes, but Project Stargate. And that is a remote viewing um, project that was put in place by, by a clandestine agency. And, you know, I mean, re remote viewing is real. But she, she was recruited as a child for clandestine warfare. And they, she told me that she was deliberately traumatized and that she was separated. She was actually literally sold to the government by her family. So she became a ward of the state, property ward of the state. So that is a person who, because of Project Stargate, is in a place to, to really let me know that the government has done some highly unethical things with the life and lifetime of, of a, an American citizen of a human being. So, um, so once you're kind of trained psychologically to think that way, you're always going to believe that the state is somewhat in control of your life. And, but most people don't. And, you know, that, that's kind of the separation I kind of need to make because his case that he was making was that if you don't know you're a slave because you're not moving around enough, 
you know, you can't feel the chains if you never move away from your desk. <laughs> I mean, he has a point. But, you know, I'm thinking about cases where I actually knew somebody who who was in, in, a, in a very uniquely confined way obligated to the state, you know, in, in ways that you would never be. So in context of like relative freedom, you know, that's rare. But I don't think that the type of control that's upon us right now is in any way legitimate. It's just not contested properly. So his other claim was that, was that, you know, it's a national security cannibal economy that has made us, you know, rich and prosperous. Okay. There's some of that, but I think that we would be even equally as much or more prosperous if we return to more of a free market system, which was that's not what we have right now. What we have is some kind of mashup of, of fascism and, you know, a, a functional capital market economy. And it's, you know, where a certain tier of people do benefit, but it, it's the people who are always rich to begin with. So it's not, you know, there, there are some new rich that are make, being made. You can, you can become rich in the society, but right now, um, in order to become that new rich in the society, you have to engage the surveillance capital economy, you know, through, through the platforms, you know, of course, coming in the gate, you're told you have to be an influencer. The way to the hearts of media is by being an influencer or being famous online. So, you know, and I, like I've said before, the, <laughs> it doesn't promise, it doesn't deliver as promised for most people, especially if you have claims or thoughts that stand outside of that. And, you know, if you're couched as a conspiracy theorist or, or you know, the academic people that you're in front of don't want competition from someone whom they believe is outside of their caste or their class system, uh, then what they'll do is they'll just slap you with a nice, nice shoddy, you know, lower class label of, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist. Even if you have research, you have validation and papers, because this happened to real academics during the pandemic. They have been doing this for years to people who are um, investigative journalists who have written books and, and they have done that for years to make sure that they don't get any daylight and to suppress messaging. You know, the, they have figured out how to close the ciphers by using the internet and make it kind of a cage space. But the people who have started the internet and grew the internet to, to, to the, thing that it is today, don't really like the, the internet the way it is. They don't like the way it's being done. So I want them to change the business model. But if I were to, to switch over and say to public policy, I think we need to get the DNI and the DOD out of the internet 
the public internet space. Like there needs to be a hard boundary. Like they should not be able to invest in things that the public will use on a routine basis for things like school or um, work or personal use. You know, they shouldn't have access to that. There should be limited law enforcement access to that. It shouldn't be that the, <laughs> the FBI has an office at Facebook and that there's a streamline agreement that they can shake that tree, you know, from, from the White House and, and, you know, Facebook has kicked down a little bit of money or something and they get data and compliance from the platform. That's not okay. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how really illegal all that stuff really is, but because people have been dealing with corruption for so long, they think that like, oh, nobody will stick up for us. Yeah, I think that there are a select amount of lawyers who aren't fight choosing those fights because there isn't the type of money that they want out of it. And so, you know, we have a lawyer problem too. So that that's contributing to the justice issue. That's separate. But if we're going to just, just go to the, the strict, like cut to chase, um, public policy, I'm going to say that the national security apparatus, whatever that is, and their little contractors like they have, you know, North or up in Bigelow and, and all the, all the, derivative little tech companies that, that kind of trail out of the, out of the innards and guts. So they're all, they're all compacted. They've got, you know, they've got their hacker groups and they've got their, their white hats over here and they've got their little, their little code, code brick and mortar. And then they've got their, their data centers and they've got this and they've got that, you know, and they're, they're trying to control it all. And, you know, they, they finance it, they fund it. They're like, listen, you know, well, I'm a shareholder. I've got stake in this company. Come on. You have to do what I say because government, because, because I'm an investor and the government. And that's why they should not ethically, they should not be able to invest in public companies that touch us. That is the reason why, because they are using um, the public controls to control the public, like like the IPO controls. The same complaint you have about ESG manipulating the stakeholders for money and misappropriating your finances into portfolios that, that are green but don't make you money. Okay, this is the same thing. It's appropriating Department of Defense finances to things that don't protect you. Okay, the internet doesn't protect me. And if anything, it has exposed me to uh, a vast harms. It has exposed children to harms. And, you know, it's not protecting the public. If the goal of the Department of Defense is a defense unit to protect the public they're not doing that so those those funds are not scoped for the mission of the agency so if i were to call up my representative and say listen i really your case if you were to call your representative you could say i am not getting what i need from the department of defense when they invest in facebook 
to monitor and control and have an, a streamlined surveillance window into everything that all consumers do through that platform. Um, I really don't think that that's, that's something that protects me. In fact, I really feel violated because I am being violated. They have violated my personal interest. They've never had my consent to move my data in any way. And, you know, they shouldn't be doing this on principle. They need to have a, a real reason to use defense funds and defense resources as a warring agency to look into my life because I'm a civilian and there are limits. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If I can tell two people the truth, that there are limits to what the, the U.S. federal government's really allowed to do. That's absolutely true. Now, whether, you know, Glenn Greenwald wants to hear me, you know, that that's another story. You know, they are not all powerful. It's just they're not being they're not being challenged on premise. They're not being challenged on on the merits of what they should be doing. They're not being fought that way in a, in a visible way. <sighs> And take a little swig of tea here. So <clears throat> I'm just kind of clearing my throat here. So if we had a free market economy, we would be more prosperous. I think one of the reasons why people like Glenn and platformers that say like Rumble and that whole new group of um, free speech agency um, platforms, you know, like Colin, they are associated together because they want people like Trump to return this to more of a free market model where the government leaves the building. And that's something I would get behind. I would totally get behind that. But if we're going to still continue to do business with the government where we sell data to the government on the consumer, that's not really the, that's not really leaving that model. So it's time to kind of stand on your feet and say that, you know, we, if we're going to be out, we got to be all the way out. We can't sell it to the FBI on a Tuesday without a warrant or the DNI or the Department of Defense and think that, you know, this is because this is the way that they've been doing business for a really long time now, over 10 years. So they're they're in a habit. This is muscle memory for them as far as how to make money. And once people find a way to make money, it's really hard to get them to kind of back away from that. They feel secure. They get their little they get their little ruts. They've got their their fluffy, um, fluffy shoes or like my kids are almost in college. Why are you interrupting my flow? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's tough. It's tough to get them to, to kind of migrate, you know, for ethical reasons, you know, you know, and I'm sure it was still the same way back in the 1800s when people were making a ton of money from slavery. They're like, yeah, yeah, but you know, I've got this big comfy house and it's got great columns and stuff. You know, why would I want to just get rid of slavery? You have to abolish slavery. This is a, a burgeoning version of cold slavery. And if you don't believe that, I want you to look around. That was a case I think he was really making 
is that people who don't move around a lot and aren't being actively persecuted themselves don't think that they're slaves. They're like, oh, I'm just going to work today. But they're, they're being slaved. They're, they're, they're life merchandise as on platforms is actively being slaved. In fact, in the early days of computing, they called it slaving. There's like a master slave co computation and that's what they call it. The master slave. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's just kind of hilarious because people who don't necessarily work in these areas or, or deal with the code don't know that. And, you know, the, the way it's architected is, is really cannibalistic. It's predatory, which I've said before, and I don't need to say it again, but it's predatory. <sighs> so, I mean, I think we're kind of full, coming full circle, but to, we're arriving at the same conclusions for different reasons. And that's kind of what I needed to say. You know, if we're really going to get the national security state under control, we need somebody who actually has a, a you know, a, a deep state counter plan. You know, they've kind of this parallel government has grown so big on the regular economy that they, they really feel entitled to run things. And they're not the legitimate government. They even tell us they're the government. They're not the legitimate government as an elected official. And now they're trying to coup us a little bit. There's like a soft coup and a cold war. And they think they, they can, you know, buddy up on, you know, a relative Thursday to do BRICS trade with data with China and India, get the profits as the DNI and then turn around and persecute you for, for saying something about a vaccine that you don't want to take. How, how about them apples? That's not fair at all. And Europe's looking at us like, you people are, you know, you're in a whole nother world of psychotic hubris. You know, the EU is looking at us like, you know, we are smaller nations, not third world, just smaller, with a smaller population. But nevertheless, they have, they have a whole state to think of. And they're also older in their national stature, meaning like they are nations that have been around for a long time. So these institutions know better than to uh, get rid of your privacy or to uh, do away with these long-term boundaries. So they put up um, data processing limits, data exchange limits, uh, embargoes, and they also put um, <clears throat> data portability, which is a form of brand personal ownership of your data. Meaning like if you want to take your, your data away from a company, once you leave, you can. I can't do that with Colin. Anything I do on Colin has to stay on Colin. But if I were in Denmark... And Colin wanted to do business with someone in Denmark. I would write a legal order to the company through GDPR. And they would be required to comply. And then all data, including my voice print or any of the recordings or 
any of the tags or anything that I have done or said on the platform, well, that comes with me when I go away. It doesn't stay with Colin. It's mine. It's proprietary. It belongs to me. So there's some, there's an existing model in the international global ecosystem for intellectual property ownership. But it's being actively ignored here in America, just like it's actively ignored by Silicon Valley right now. They're actively ignoring the claims of SAG-AFTRA because they don't, it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to the aims of the parallel state to continue to make money the way that they've been making money off of you without having any rights and having any access and ownership to your data inherently. So if we were to adopt more of a GDPR model and, and, you know, listen to me, these are actually social, more socialist states than we are technically. Like if we were going to say brick, brick and mortar, they are actually more socialized, technically more socialized government than our constitutional Republic. But they, they are not stupid enough to surrender all right to privacy. They're not dumb enough to back out of self-ownership. So that's the case I'm kind of volleying towards people who are invested in platformer magic. They want, they want something for nothing. And they want to own people for no reason and make money off of them you know, and, you know, in, in perpetuity, you know, I'm owned by no one. And so because I'm special and I know my rights, I tell the legal departments at these platforms, you can't sell my data to the government because I give, I do not give you consent to be that vesicle as a third party. In fact, you could write your legal department and tell them any third party that you don't want to do business with, you can as your terms and conditions. Okay. There are terms and conditions, you know, they, they put it in front of you. It's a shitty contract. Let's just be plain. It's a crappy contract, but even cop crappy contract contracts have a contrapositive. Like you can always wiggle room. There are exceptions in, in crappy contracts. So you, the, you can, you can wedge in there and, and leverage your interest. Many people don't know that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a, so many different ways to, to, to leverage your rights. So I, I think I've talked for a solid 30 minutes about this because it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a pellet. It's an owl pellet. Blah. You know, I need to get it out. <laughs> So uh, it's out. Like I'm, I'm done saying that particular piece. Oh, Hakeem, you want to come up here? Hello. Good evening, Sheila. Or the great, the great Hakeem. Good morning or good afternoon or. It is evening. It, it is evening here in Central Central Austin. Central what? Central Texas. It's in Austin, Texas. Oh, you're in Texas. Tejas. Well, you know, um, for the past 26 years, it's been more than that, but I'll just say 26 years, I've been studying. 
free market capitalism. Why'd you make that noise? Is that how long you've been alive? 26 years? Um, no, way longer than that, but, but go ahead. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting that what, you know, what you said about, uh, a lot of people going around basically being enslaved and not knowing, um, and, uh, just allowing sort of these things to happen and not leveraging their rights. Um, all of these things are interconnected and, um, you know, I just not too long ago, I mean, I've done it several times before I've quit my jobs and swore that I would never work for anybody again, but there are certain things that I like to do for work, like security jobs. So I've worked it, but the last job I quit because the owner, he gets drunk and he starts talking shit to people. So I told him to go fuck himself like three weeks ago. I think it was July 22nd. Um, quitting your job and, is uh, sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is, especially, you, get a temporary you know, rush I, of righteousness. yeah, I'm working. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I work for myself, so, um, I make plenty of money doing that. And so I don't really need to work for anybody. And I, I'm just now starting to come to terms with realizing what I actually want, which is, is that kind of freedom to work whenever I feel like it. And, you know, of course I, I own a, a job, not a, not a business. I own, I own the job. And so, you know, if I stop working, I don't, I don't earn any money. Um, with a small exception of my cleaning business, um, and some passive income that I earn from ad revenue for my podcast and stuff like that. But, you know, it's not a significant portion of my income yet, so I don't really count it as such. But, um, so this is to, to address something that you said about a lot of people think that they're free um, because, you know, it was just so funny how you said, oh, I'm just going to, to my job. I'm going to work. And, you know, they're kind of living this life where they feel like they're not enslaved. But there are there are just different levels to the enslavement, you know. Um, and, uh, and most of it has to do with financial slavery and, and the fact that a lot of people just don't know a lot of things like you just said, you know, because, you know, you're right. You know, you're special. Um, and it's true because, you know, here's an interesting fact. I don't know if you know this, but, um, you know, 1773 was the uh, Boston Tea Party and they were, you know, revolting against, you know, the taxes on tea specifically and which eventually some of those events led up to the Revolutionary War. Well, let me before uh, you before you go down this, this rabbit hole, yeah, I just, sure. just want to interject this. You know, I was thinking about this article or this 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 logic because this is the second time I've heard this today about about being a slave but not knowing it. And th this concept was was brought to me by by Glenn Greenwald um, during first by Russell Brand and then uh, and then during uh, the Glenn Greenwald after show like on on locals. So it, it's not a rebuttal, but you know when I think about slavery, when I think about actual slavery, you know, I'm looking for brands. I'm, I'm, I'm confronted with real slavery because of the human trafficking problem. There is real slavery, but of you course. know, I, I see, I see where he's coming from. There's like a soft slavery that's going on intellectually. It's a slow creeping serfdom that's being superimposed by the national security state and, and the platforms. 
But then there's this other slavery that is very real where you have no control of where you sleep, where you eat, who you sleep with, when you get up to go to work and you get a nice little brand. So the next person who says to me, you know, you are a slave. I'm going to be like, I don't see any brands on my body. So they better be real clear about the parameters of the slavery. That's slavery. No, well, that's, that's right. Um, one of the things I ha- I don't do, um, like even though I've played for, just addressing what you just said, I've played for a lot of heavy metal bands and been in bands and hung around a lot of them. And there's a lot of bands that I like. I've never been into buying bands, T-shirts, and wearing their brand on my body. I've, I don't know why. I just It's just for a long time been something that I don't like to do. Um, I don't buy the major brands of clothing like Adidas or Nike or any of that stuff like that because I don't like their brands. Um, and, uh, and also, yeah, it's very true. Um, I, I've actually, I know that there is real human trafficking and actual slaves, just like how you describe people don't, can't decide when they wake up, when they go to work, who they sleep with, all that other stuff like that. So that's true. Um, but this so-called soft slavery, as you put it, um, it's very pervasive, and it's one of the the reasons why I realize how much I enjoy my my freedom. But about the Boston Tea Party, like a lot of people don't know, as far as like some soft slavery, some of it, you know, like this academic stuff, like a lot of people don't know a lot about taxes, for example. You know, the people think that it's patriotic and that it's you're supposed to pay as many taxes as possible, but it's actually not even true. I'm just giving an example of one of those things that people think and has nothing to do with reality. For example, um, there's there's 58,000 pages or something like that, 5,800, sorry, pages of, of tax code, and only 5,777 or something like that, 5,770 um, are all dedicated to teaching you how to legally avoid paying taxes. And so the other 30 pages are are about collecting taxes. That, so only half a percent. That's great. That, that's applause to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, half a percent. Can you imagine half a percent? So 99.5% of the tax code is about legally not paying taxes. And only half a percent is about actually paying taxes. Now, this to say... Um, leading into something else where a lot of people look at some of our politicians like Donald Trump or other people who've run for office and they complain about, oh, they're not paying taxes. He's, he's a crook because he pays zero dollars in taxes or whatever, or pays zero, close to no taxes at all. And it's funny because they're focusing on all the wrong things. Like here they are because, because of people's ignorance, they're complaining like that Donald Trump or, or other people are paying so little in taxes when they're actually doing that legally. Now, this is beside the fact that sometimes, of course, they do illegal things like they um, they they puff up the the worth of their assets in order to um, to get loans, and then they deflate the worth of their assets in order to get um, you know depreciation and other tax yeah, incentives. I mean, so there's besides all, that, there's a ton of financial yeah. hacks that you know, and once you're you're kind of addicted to the money and the chicanery. Yeah. Everyone kind of gives themselves cover and a pass. 
Yeah. Because the richer you get, the more the more cover people run for you. <laughs> yeah, they, they can. I mean, but this is what leads to this so-called crony capitalism or, or corporate capitalism that's really... Um, which is what kind that of is. The, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is the fascist part of capitalism that you're talking about, whereas free market capitalism, as I practice it and as a few people on earth practice it, um, would actually bolster and build up the society. You know, like um, my cleaning business, for example, um, somebody just told me that it's kind of run like a co-op in a way, and I, I would call it social capitalism, even though I am a little bit concerned about socialism and communism a lot, but like the, the, the cleaners that work with me, and I say work with me very specifically because they don't work for me. I don't like to have employees like that's just another thing I've never enjoyed is having somebody work for me because I believe everyone has something to contribute in some way, shape or form. Like I don't go and clean these, the martial arts studios myself because they're better at it than I do and they have a better um, uh, attitude about it. But um, they get paid a decent wage for doing it. They get paid $20 an hour directly from the studios that are paying them. And then at the end of their, their at the end of the week, they all send me a little tiny piece of what they're making. So they, their jobs are two hour are two hours um, each each studio, and um, it's not all at once. And they um, if they do, for example, four hours. That means two shifts. They just send me five dollars from each one of those, and I get about seventy-five dollars an hour sometimes for just doing the administrative stuff to get them connected and make sure everything's going. Because they just send me five bucks from out of the eighty that they make, so they take home seventy-five bucks. And and then I teach them how to um, write things off, you know, their gas that they travel to there, and different things like that, so that they get they get to keep more of their money. And teach them things about how their their travel, their meals, and entertainment can be written off, which means just deducted or another better word, subtracted from their taxable income, so that they pay less on that and all that stuff like that. But you know, if you work so hard for your money, you know you should you should put a little effort in, in trying to keep or hang on to it. If you're yeah. if you're really spending that much time, and you know, let's just say it's a physical job. You know, it makes sense that you, you would do that. And so there's this concept, Hakeem, of this this uh, PMC. Do you know the, mm-hmm. about the PMC, the, the permanent or the the managerial class? So oh, this yeah. Is, yeah, this is the uh, new renovation of the same old shit. So, so the, the, the PMC is the new, um, you know, Marxist uh, appropriation of of the class system so this this uh this brick of of it's an in-between class um so that that they they give all of their power to the national security state or the you know the tree of of bureaucracies that just never seem to to get dialed back and i think what is failing is that people when they're speaking to and about Democrats, they're like, Democrats want to spend all our money. Democrats want to, you know, Republicans vote for the advancement and the institutions that we have to pay for. And if you look at those vote records, it's them. 
you, you know what I mean? You're, you're yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's yeah, both yeah. of them. So you have to look at the 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 person who's who's voting for these 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 agencies, or you know, for the bills, who's who's spending the public purse, you know, because they're they're voting to to make Facebook your vassal. They're they're voting to make Facebook, uh, you know, uh, an under undertaker or, or a step and fetch it informant for the FBI. They're the ones paying for that. You didn't vote for that. Some other guy did that for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, what? Uh, so something you said earlier too, um, man, it just slipped because you were just talking about. Um. Man, well, you said a lot, and there, there's so much of it just rang out to me, simply because it's interesting how certain things. This is so fucked up. It's taken me 26 years to actually pierce the veil of understanding what a little tiny bit of what's going on in, in capitalism and how people are are holding on to more of their money, which we all can. I mean, rule number one in taxes is your is that it's your money, not the government's. You know, and and um, a lot of people don't realize that, like you were saying something about the, the management class, like, for example, um, the the fact that um, that, uh, you know, people like I've never thought it made any sense for me to to take a few minutes and not do any physical labor. And, you know, I can do it from wherever I am in my car in a bookshop or whatever. And why should I take more of the money from the cleaners than when they're actually there putting in the physical labor? You know, it's I, I, I've heard arguments, of course, that, yeah, well, the owners of the business take more of the risk because, you know, if something happens, it's not the employees that get into trouble. It's the it's the business itself and things like that. So I, I get those kind of arguments, but it doesn't have to be set up that way. Like, I don't I don't have all kinds of stupid risk you know um to me the 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 low amount of stress that i incur by being able to do things remotely and travel all over the place like i'm i'm far away from home right now and still able to manage and take care of these things and talk to you and do whatever and i've just never understood that it's always bugged me how you have so-called people on the top of the pyramid of a company and they get to sit in air conditioning and in front of computers and get fat and happy. And they get all of the money from people's labor. And then the people who are actually on the ground doing the work, boots on the ground, get the least amount of it. And that's never never made any sense to me. Um, I mean, and, and maybe that's just me, but a lot of people just kind of fall into that and allow that to happen and don't say anything about it because they feel like, Oh, this person's providing me for a job. I should be so grateful to just let them enslave me. And it, it feels that way. It really does feel that way. And and something that is kind of conspicuous about about slavery is that um is is that the people who are most conscious of it these days, like for instance, like. I hear a lot of the, you know, BLM people and, you know, they're yelling about, 
you know, slavery of the past, but clearly they can go home and, and do as they please. No one's, no one is, is making them a slave, right. you know, but at the same, in the same timeline, there are people maybe, you know, three buildings down working in a massage parlor who, who are slaves. Yeah. And those people like, let's say the, you know, lawn sign BLM are not advocating for the people in the massage parlor. And I, I see a stark difference. Like the people who are yelling and screaming all day long in the outrage industrial complex. Yeah. Gimme, 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 because, because you, you offended, you offended, you know, pay a fine because you offended. Uh, never seem to advocate for people who are actually oppressed. You know, if yeah. you stuck them in front of a of someone who was actually being like, like say maybe a, a fourteen to eleven year old child who was going to get molested repeatedly that day, just shoved them in front of that child and said, "Okay, now what do you do?" Well, that ain't my business. You know, that's the kind of stuff I think that I'm kind of in range of that I've seen. And I'm not saying that I've seen enough of that where that they don't they don't have an actual relationship to the actual issue. Like if if um like if they if they were next to somebody whose organs were going to be harvested because they were in, they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong cartel. And they're like, okay, well, my, my parents actually didn't realize that they were selling me for parts. And so in two and a half hours, I will, I will be on death's door because my liver and kidneys and my lungs and eyeballs will be forcibly removed in a surgery. And then sold. Yep. I will just sell for parts on the on the black market. Yeah, black Lives Matter is an interesting uh, organization in that that and and um, what's it, is it Antifa, where they are um, openly Marxist. Yeah. And you know, I don't know how this. When did it become so cool to be a communist? You know, like, I remember watching the, the movie Forrest Gump, and there was a line in there I didn't understand. I thought it was kind of cool with the Black Panthers. And somebody said something like, oh, yeah, I'm a, he's a badass commie nigga. And they're just like, what? What? Commie? Isn't that me, communist? And it's it's crazy because people don't like certain things about the country, so... They'll rail against the whole thing to go for a system, an, another failed system that's even worse um, because they, yeah. Yeah, yeah so because, I, think, I think you know where I'm going is that, you know, these are Marxists and they're not going to interfere with the state business line of another communist country that they feel has got it together. Yeah. If they're, if they're harvesting organs of Latin American children who were sold by the cartels, 
Well, that's that's the western edge of the CCP's business. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like one of the things that's just so crazy about my life right now is, for the longest time, well, it's um, it's now August, and since since I left, I, I lived in China for five years, and um, I got back to the U.S. on September fourth of two thousand and twenty-one, and um, since I I returned. Since I got back here, I knew what I was going to be doing and how I was going to be living my life and, and how I was going to, um, you know, start running things. And for a while, I knew that I was going to be working for myself and get my stuff back to, to how I was going to organize my life. And the, the thing is that I have... Like, all my time is mine. Like, nobody can tell me anything. There's a few things that if they were to happen, you know, I might be in a little bit of emergency mode. But it's such a different feeling, and you have such a different perspective, and you have more time to think about certain things when all of your time is not forcing you to have to um, to focus, to be at work. Like, you, there's certain things you can't do in certain jobs. You know, you can't. You can't read. You can't educate yourself. You can't look at new ideas. You know, it, the time doesn't doesn't permit. You have to be on phone calls, or you know, as a teacher, you're in the classroom teaching the kids. You're occupied. And it, and, yeah. Yeah, you're you're occupied, so you can't. And so I have this different perspective of where, and I, I've lived most of my life this way. Um, my first job was at a Dunkin' Donuts when I was 15. I worked there for three months and. When I was done, I, I just thought to myself, I am not working a job ever like that, uh, like that ever again. And I had a few other jobs here and there, but none of them were things that I had to be stuck in some place like that, except for the security jobs. But I really liked them because it was at, you know, all these big nightclub parties and bars where people were having fun. So it was just interesting being a security because you could walk around and be kind of a VIP and, you know, move about as you wished. Um that's a cool job. But yeah. It is. I mean, but I quit my last one just because the owner of the place was a dick. But um you what? know, and but now a scumbag club owner? Get out of here. <laughs> no and, way. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, right. You don't say, right? <laughs> say it ain't so. <laughs> um and uh but now even with something that I do um, part time at driving for Uber is such a completely different thing, which I don't, I don't, I don't understand either. Like there's one, there's a few organizations and there's a lot of people online who they're, they're constantly talking about Uber like it's doing something wrong. Um, I, I, I can't see how a company that lets people go on and off whenever they feel like it <laughs> and puts them in a position where. I mean, most people don't have the education to understand this, maybe even the Uber drivers, but where you're in a position where you you get paid first and then you can spend your money on your gas, your car payments, your insurance, and then deduct all of that and pay what's left over. I mean, it, it puts you in, the, in, a, in a really unique position that I don't think a lot of people appreciate. Um, and there's a lot of backlash against 
Uber saying that they don't pay people for, I, I don't know. I, I guess people, um, what, what is the word I'm looking for? They, they seem to have their, their priorities misplaced where they, they seem to, um, enjoy security more than freedom where I'm the complete opposite. I like having freedom more than security. I'd rather be in a position where, um, I'm responsible for how much money I earn rather than it being set hours that I have to work. You know, if I want more, I work more. If I, if I'm good for the day, I don't, I don't work. I mean, I wake up whenever the hell I feel like it. I go to sleep when I feel like it. I spend most of my time in bookstores and stuff like that and, and searching for pretty girls. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't, I don't understand how anybody would want to trade the freedom to move about and go wherever they want to. For being stuck in one place, why? Why you do people value that? You have a lot of discipline, Hakim. You have a lot of discipline. Anyone who is applied themselves to martial arts in a in a in a routine or or disciplined way, you possess physical and mental discipline. And people who are increasing their responsibility have accumulated discipline and so when they take on responsibility they have they feel capable in 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 their in their weight class so to speak but there's a lot of people who are kind of imbalanced they're they're top heavy over here but they're they're really weak in other areas like they might be uh, they have different strengths um so one of the things that i think our society kind of lost when it stepped away from from smaller cultures and tribal cultures. I think that they lost, um, you know, finding things for people to, to do that makes them actually useful. It may not be the thing that they, they really want to do, but they are still useful. Now there are a lot of people who, who clean houses cause they don't mind. You know, I've heard people say that they're like, I don't mind cleaning houses. I'm like, okay. I do. <laughs> I do. I do mind cleaning houses for money because I have a lot of thinking and writing to do. And it pisses me off if I can't do that. So I will take a different type of job that, you know, may occupy my hands, but then leaves me free to, to think. Um, but I need to be available for, for my intellectual stuff or otherwise I go, I go crazy. <laughs> I, go, I, I definitely, I, go, I definitely know how that is because working security jobs, working in film and TV and working as a fitness trainer allows me just that to be able to have the thinking space. But even though my hands might be occupied um, and those are the three main things I've done at least since um, the mid, well, since I, let's just say since I graduated from high school, and so I get that, too. Like, I go crazy if, you know, that's why I spend six to eight hours reading throughout the day. And I can be on on call-in or other social audio things like this, talking to people or listening to people, and nobody can tell me shit. They can't be like, you got to take off those fucking headphones and, and pay attention to your job. That's you funny. know, it's like, no, yeah, no, nobody can tell me that. Like, the one, the, 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 the third strike for the owner... Billy Hudson of Central 111 
where I was working security at the front door for me was on June 21st or July 21st was. I just doxed yeah, that. Yeah, you gotta idiot. love your enemies. Okay, you gotta, you yeah, gotta love so, your enemies. <laughs> so, like, you know, was was I was reading a book called Fake by Robert Kiyosaki, fake fake money, fake teachers, fake assets, um, how lies nice. are are making the poor and middle class poorer. And um, he came out and he was like, okay, so I worked six hours on Friday and Saturday. And he comes out for 30 seconds. And the first thing he says to me in the first two seconds, he sees me, I have a book in my hand. Everybody's going in happy. I'm checking everybody's IDs. I'm doing everything. What the fuck are you doing? What are you reading a book? And I, just, I said, Billy, go fuck yourself. I finished out the rest of my shift and then didn't, and I wasn't planning on going back. And fortunately, he sent me a text message and says, you know, you and I have a different idea of how security is supposed to work. I don't think it's going to do this anymore, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and all I said was, okay, thank you, you know, because I wasn't going back there anyway. I had already quit once before, and the general manager called me back and basically pleaded for me to come and come back and work as they needed me there, you know. But um, I forgot where I was going with that. But uh. Well, getting um, fired is always is always it's re, it's public rejection, you know. And it's like if if you are that's there's something to like your your mental. You feel like somebody who's who's kind of mentally and spiritually you're inferior, like they're just your boss. They're not, you know. They they think because they have a boss badge that they are suddenly now better than you, when in yeah. fact. You have the reason why he got upset was because you were doing something that he probably can't or won't do, and you're also physically very fit and disciplined. So, shining lights attract moths. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, people have said that. Like, what's really funny is being at the door, which this has been going on ever since I've been working there for a year. Everybody is so surprised. Like, wow. Thought that you'd you'd be such a an avid reader. I always see you with a book. What book are you reading today? That that's like the big thing of everybody. They would come up to me. What book are you reading? Or I don't see. Where's your book? And sometimes it would be because it would be on the seat or something like that. Oh, right there. Like oh, I thought something was wrong. I didn't see you reading. And it was like a big thing for everybody. Like that was like their point of of conversation with me is that I'm the bouncer who reads, right? Um, but you know, one one of the things. So I'm his exact text message on Saturday. July 22nd was, hey, brother, I like and respect you a lot, but you and I are just too far apart on how I expect the security position to be worked. I'm afraid it's not going to work out. At the same time, I hope this doesn't harm our friendship as I do enjoy your company. Because, he, really? you know, the, the thing is he has no power over me, and no one ever, ever has. Like, I will die before people have power over me. I've quit a job before, interestingly enough, years before that, um, during Pride Week at a place in West Hollywood, where um, the the assistant general manager, Miguel, came to me and said, you're going to work at the bathrooms today. And I said, with all due respect, can I please work somewhere else? Because yesterday I was there for 14 hours. And he started cussing at me, like, what the fuck are you going to do? What I fucking say, you don't question. And so I just, I quit. And the general manager, John, came up and said, I, I, Miguel apologized. I'm apologizing on his behalf and I'm apologizing from me. He says, we really need you. Please, can you stay? I'm going to have you work upstairs in the open air area, blah, 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 blah. And what is so, it with, 
with these low-grade guys who scream? I have no fucking clue. I don't understand that whole thing either. It's like with all the cussing and anger towards someone. We all we always use profanity here and there, whatever, but in the way that they're using it and thinking that they have some kind of control. Like, that's never flown with me. It, it never flew with my parents. My parents realized long ago from the time I was four years old that they have zero control over me. My teachers realized they have zero control over me, that they just have to accept that that's the way I am or not deal with me. They just, they've, no one has ever, I will, and, and the reason I was bringing up that first job where I did that with the guy Miguel is because at that time I was homeless and that was the only source of income that I had. But my, something about me is just so un, or so disconnected from that world of master slave thing that it doesn't matter. Like I will, I will go and find something else to do if I'm not, I don't need to be it's respected. It's a spiritual declaration. I don't need to be, yeah, from, I don't need to be from, liked. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I just don't need to be fucked with. Freedom isn't about being liked, Hakeem. Freedom is about yeah. self-determination. It's about doing what you need to do as you need to do it. Okay? The, the freedom to leave. And you left. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and that's that's one of those things where people people will stay and bad situations for a really long time because they feel like and eh, the money and that's what i call the golden right. handcuffs but it, it twists and that's it. the it only reason why i stayed there as long as i did yeah because i was getting paid a lot of money to work there it was up to 80 dollars an hour on the on fridays and saturdays where the base pay was 20 dollars an hour so i so i went back and i was like oh yeah well the money's kind of decent but not realizing that the extra time gives me so much more more time to do all the other things I, I I wanted to, and I felt it, and I was I kept on thinking to myself every day, why am I here? Why do I keep coming here? Well, what is is it, is it really the the money? Um, and then finally realized it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it to deal with all those drunken, crazy people. People threatening to shoot me, all this other stuff like that. I'm like wondering why am I even coming here? And now it's just like. I, it's such a beautiful thing to not be connected. Well, every, You're right about the golden choice. handcuffs. Yeah, every, everything's a choice, and you know, I I have admiration for you because you are you put yourself in a variety of different um, windows for public service, like the, the services that you offer in the free market. Um, you know, they are they are necessary, and you know. You ch- you chose them because you agreed to the terms of the, of the trade. But I also like, yeah, I like what I do. These are things that I've been doing since I was a kid. You know, I grew up with kung fu and ninja movies, and so I've been a martial artist, so I teach fitness and self-defense. I like movies and entertainment business. I'm a musician myself, so I've worked in film and television production on music videos and movies. And um, it just kind of fell into being that, I don't know, for some reason, I'm just really good at observing people and, and being a sort of a, I don't like this word, like a protector, but that's how I fell into doing security. Plus, my older brother did it, and my sister did it after she retired from the Navy for 20 years. So it was just like, but I've been doing it since 1999, 98, 99. Um, but they're just things that are that don't feel like I'm working at all because it just kind of feels like that's just naturally who I am. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I, and my mom, you know, she said some things that a lot of people sometimes scoff at, 
but they're all real for me. Like they, they're all completely real. Like she said, the first thing was everything happens for a reason. And that's actually one of the most difficult ones for me to really get to terms with. Um, cause I'm not, I, I don't know what reasons that that's always been a mystery to me. But the second one, um, is, you know, there's always room for improvement, which I definitely know because I've always been improving a lot of things, just getting better at things over and over. The third one, which a lot of people scoff at, is do what you love and the money will follow. A lot of people don't believe that's true, but I, I do what I love all the time. I like traveling. I like driving. Um, I like I, I love martial arts and music, and I do that stuff every day all the time. And the, my favorite one of hers is what do you mean can't? And you know, my parents, even though they didn't have a good relationship with each other, they had a great relationship with their kids, and they never, ever told us we couldn't do something. They never, ever told us we weren't capable. They've always encouraged us, always uplifted us, always told us that we could do whatever we wanted to and that basically, we, you know, we could achieve anything that we wanted to. And um, so something about those things, I don't know. And, and I do know that a lot of people aren't that fortunate because there's people who I've seen and I know who their parents literally reject them, kick them out of the house. Like my parents never mm-hmm. told, told any of us. They've never kicked us out of the house. They've never said you can't live here anymore. I left on my own from home at 15 years old. But I was doing, but I was leaving the house since I was four years old to the point where the police had to come and find me hours or a day later just wandering around the streets in New York, somehow not getting kidnapped or killed or whatever. Except once walking home from school, somebody did try to kidnap me, but they, they paid for that. Um, but, um, yeah, that, I don't know. I feel in, in some way I'm privileged because my parents, at least they were good parents to their kids. They just, you know, they never, they always encouraged us. They always told us that we could be the best and brightest and all that stuff like that. And never said we can't do something. And that's one of the big problems I do see in a lot of the world is that people's parents just aren't that fucking cool, unfortunately, with their kids. Yeah, they take and, out all kinds of shit on them. What you, you can't give what you didn't get. You know, some people, when they learn to get it themselves, they'll give it to their children. Um, they, yeah. they didn't get it from their parents, but they found another way to learn or to yeah. get it. And that then, would be in my And then case, they yeah. give that to their children because they didn't get it. Um, but there are some people who are not as kind and, and they're spiritually kind of bent wrong. So yeah. they, they don't give what they got to their children. They deliberately deprive them of, of the advantages and the things that they had so that their children won't have them so that they will be stunted, dependent, controlled. Okay. Cause that's yeah. what they want from their children rather than what they got to be empowered, independent, you know, so forth and so on. So the choices people make when they have offspring, you know, are kind of a a gamble on the board. But I I feel like that's, that's, you know, to be a parent of any kind is like a, is a karmic calling. If there is a karmic calling, uh, that is it. So, you know, because all you do after that is cultivated deeds. Yes, absolutely. It's it's almost like there's a there's an imprinted record in your child with you, you know, for for your life, for your life. Your life is forever changed once the child is there. 
with you and you 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 transformed your whole economy your whole orientation on everything changes so you you can't you know you can't you know bum around the world and figure it out you know you have a child <laughs> yeah i mean that's one of the fortunate unfortunate things about me is that i'm the only one of my uh three brothers and two sisters who don't have kids so i've been able to just go around the world but i but i actively avoided um impregnating anyone so that's um, close that's and, yeah. and you know what and a lot of people would applaud you for that but you know i think your whole story you know the ones that you're sharing with me tonight is is one of of in, intense personal freedom intense you know personal respond to execute your will in a, in a disciplined way and some people they make trade-offs and they obligate themselves well so, rounding I mean, this I back don't to look the... down on people for for becoming parents but right. i i know Definitely for a not. fact i will never be that person and i will never do that on a voluntary basis because i think i'm more like you a mm. lot more like like the person who is is constantly seeking uh, self determination and actualizing, or kind of kind of knowing and understanding the purpose of being, considering considering things and things that I might communicate or convey to other people. You know, some people don't feel like they're a person unless they're having children. I've known those yeah. people too. They don't. They don't feel like they're present. They don't feel like they're. They're like alive or. or Head or, east on Clark uh, Street toward Lakeside Avenue. Oh, then turn sorry. right onto Virginia 161 South. Why the? Oh no! Interrupted by the GPS. <laughs> um, that, that nosy was, GPS. That was that was hooked right into my car's audio system for some reason. <clears throat> um, yeah, uh, ba- rounding this back out to the title of your room though the outrage industrial complex that this shit has gone too far um and it kind of ties into what we've been talking (laughs) about because people get mad at me and try to cancel me and try to ignore me because they say all kinds of things to me like you know money is the root of all evil when the saying actually is the love of money is the root of all evil or um rich people are greedy or um, you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're greedy and selfish, and you want to work for yourself. You're, not you're, a about control, them. you're a control freak. You're a narcissist. What? Because I don't want to oh, listen to anybody? A, this is my favorite. You're a tax cheat. Right. Yeah, I'm a tax cheat. Like, you like no, you're not the tax assessor. You're not in any public right. office. You don't get any of this money. What is your, what yeah. is your stake in this? Like like I was saying earlier, like people are focusing on the wrong things with like Donald Trump and other people who are not paying taxes. It's legal. Like I said earlier, ninety nine point five percent of the tax care. code. They they want is you about, under the, the, the pin thumb of the state. They want to control your asses. They want to make your stuff their stuff. Because they're that's just what complaining they because do. they can't steal from you. But the outrage, right? Is yeah, the outrage. Is all this like people can't understand that? Oh, this outrage. is not me to. This is not me tooting my own horn or anything like that. But um, people get upset that I don't fit into like a. Well, they think that because I like to read books, 
that somehow I should be out of shape and ugly or something like that. And, or that because, and this is other people's objective things that because I'm, um, because I'm physically fit and people say that I'm handsome or cute or whatever it is, that I should be dumb. Like, the, for some reason, there's not, that I have, something has to be wrong. You know, there, there has to be some kind of flaw. And that, do, do you wonder and, where those preconceived or kind of stamped notions come from? Those limited perceptions, those partitions? Like, you got out of the box and you can do all of these things. Uh, uh, what do I do? Uh, the, the peas mixed with the carrots. Eject, eject, right. you know, and you see the sparks, like, going off in the robot's brain there, you know, coming out of their ears. They don't, they don't... Uh, does not compute. Uh, uh, what is happening? <laughs> but yeah, you know, you know um, it, a lot of that, a lot of that stuff is perpetuated by, um, uh, by media. You know what I mean? Like you have all these tropes and um, stereotypes that are played out in probably ever since Shakespeare. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. like a person who's the court jester is like this geek and he's all scrawny and you know whatever and he might be funny and all that other stuff like that but he's definitely not you know the fit good looking guy no that's the prince and then but the, but the prince though just like in Cyrano de Bergerac right is a good looking guy who can't you know um, do his own poetry like or Cyrano you know that story about Cyrano yeah Cyrano um, de Bergerac so the, the, he, he and she ends up falling in love of course like, with the guy with the distorted you know big face yeah but and, he was the one um, who was the poet and the intellect, and she fell in love with that, you know. And she thought that she was, but the good-looking guy who was a dumbass. But see, that's just perpetuated, right, over and over and over again before television. It's like people like that's where I feel like a lot of that comes from. Or like, well, or like also men or dogs. Good-looking rich guy, you know that the, the, the good-looking rich guy is going to be necessarily a a an asshole and a clod, and that's not necessarily so either. Um, Over time, I've discovered, you know, not that I've spent like tons of time with rich fellows, but, you know, that there's a lot of genuinely, you know, good spirited, decent, rich people to the to the ill report of many poor people and to the ill report of the of of many people left this media that 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 rich people are boogeyman bad. Yeah. (laughs) They're the worst people I've had to deal with a lot of cognitive true. dissonance. Yeah, <laughs> I've had to deal with a lot of cognitive dissonance of that because the rich people that I know, one of them being Jerry Blome, who first hired me and paid me for my first paid gig in film and TV in the art department, really freaking super awesome guy. I mean, the guy's so freaking nice and so cool and so tolerant and patient and just loving and just treated me like a like a like a little brother or like like an uncle like he treated me like he was you know just and just gave me like just called me for every single job that he possibly could that I would work with him until I left from Florida and moved to California and then even after that gave me um what you call it uh um recommendations when I was working in California you know and it's like I I just do you ever wonder I, I, where the pool yeah. of decent people are? You know, like, I'm dealing with all these these um, kind of 
They're coins with no other side. Huh. <laughs> you flip the back and there's just nothing imprinted on the other side. There's nothing on the other side. And uh, you just you just want something that's whole or a person that's that's kind of invested in, in more than themselves and, and they've made something. You know, a, a lot of people who are creators you know, you're a creative person, you're, you're a creative musician person and, and you're invested in the arts and you work around TV and film, you know, there's an actualization experience in that where you're, you're actively in the joy of creation and, um, people who are creative people, you know, have a tendency to, to really want fulfillment to, to be a, a more of a community and, and they, they want that fulfillment to, to kind of round out. And, um, you know, it, that's why it's such a pleasure to, to work with a lot of creatives. But there's there, the downside of that is often there's a lot of ego. Often there's a lot yeah. of, um, you know, kind of there's cups and shell games. There, there's some manipulation. There's some, you know, there's some misrepresentation of the facts and the truth. There's a bending. There's a the, there's the Svengali's who, who step in and they may find somebody who's a really amazing talent but then they they just enslave them so we're back in circle to to this so you know i just i just pray to god that you find a wellspring of people that you can invest in that um will will be departed from the necessity of of you know outrage validation because the outrage industrial complex is driven by by this perverse form of collective validation and yeah. the internet rewards outrage validation the more outraged you are the more you attract you know a buzzy noise people will turn their heads at somebody who's yelling um and and that's not that's not a true form of attention it's it's an attention no. hijack, and it's it's not the way you build a society. In fact, it's a way that you dissipate or fragment society. Because I don't know anyone who has been perpetually screamed at that wants to stick around. Do you? Yeah. Oh no, I mean, that's uh, I, I have a very low threshold for that, as I've explained. Yeah. You know, um, and so, but. There's, like you said, the the golden handcuffs and that kind of thing where, you know, people feel like they have to. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't understand the whole thing about canceling people. I mean, I, I've seen some of the stupidest things with the outrage that people come up with. Like there was a, 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 a Caucasian woman who went to her prom or something like that with a uh, – with a Chinese um, style dress on, uh, I think we call them chi sao in China. Um, oh, is and, it the ones with the, the kind of the high collar and they're kind of like silk dresses with the button? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. They're nice. Yeah, they're beautiful. And she was wearing that, and people were calling her cultural appropriation. I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, no one's ever said that to me. I've I've been wearing like kung fu. Like, what what cultural appropriation? Like how it's just a nice outfit. So, oh, this was so then, been 10 years ago. Yeah, something yeah, like, like that. I don't know. Or. But I remember that. I remember they, they tried to make a meal out of this girl because she wore 
she wore a beautiful, um, uh, you know, traditional Chinese garment to prom as a yeah. dress. And, you and know, that's I, that whole outrage thing. You know, and, and I think about, okay, this is, I think about that and then I think about this. You know, in terms of fashion, I kind of relaxed about it because um, Native American culture has been kind of sprayed and dislocated and yeah. meshed and mashed. And people don't know what it is when they're looking at it. They right. don't, you know, so, I mean, it's it's really kind of different when when somebody says cultural appropriation. You know, so, some some Chinese person in Chinatown would be like, oh, they were they wore my dress. Did you give them my card? Did I get right. the advertising? You know, there are people who think like that about their fashion. And then there are other people who, okay, they're like, when I got to Texas this time around, I was in a parking lot outside of a, you know, a major Mexican restaurant chain. And I was looking into the, the parking lot and I saw this, this Mexican woman, Latin American woman. And she was wearing, um, she was wearing, uh, like, like pants that were, um, uh, they're plaid. Okay. Like, like legit, like English or Scotch plaid pants. And I'm like, why does that work? (laughs) (laughs) She was wearing this outfit with these, like, these wild pants, you know, these wild, like, red plaid pants. I'm like, why does that work? And and I couldn't figure it out because she had red li- lipstick and, you know, this white, you know, this this white blouse. And I'm like, this is crisp. Like, it's a good style. Like, why does it work? <laughs> so, but Like, it, you know, that reminds me of a lot of Latin American people who are into the rockabilly scene with the red lipstick and the flower in the hair and, like, the kind of, like, the pinup style. Like the four dress it's 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 yeah retro but but and i'm i'm thinking to myself but that's you could say that's cultural appropriation she took right she she took a scotch garment and and took a scotch garment style and and you know she's wearing it but do you see anyone really complaining yeah where do you draw the line where is all this outrage about these different things like i i don't i have no idea what is happening or why like why how are people going along with this and how does it how does it make any sense to them but you well, did I mention mean, isn't something it a earlier of fashion yeah. copying like like this is a you know people have a freedom to experiment with their with their style and and yeah. fashion used to be about experimenting and pulling in looks and creative looks from garments from different places from around yeah. the world. And uh, that was the point of global fashion is, is to get a different look um, for the season, for to, to get a different sensation, a different texture. You know, that, that was the art of clothing or a, a art of garment Um because I'm I'm a stylish person and I like to wear a lot of different clothes, you know. Yeah. And this year, I did something completely bizarre, totally different from from what I normally do. I bought a ton of hot pink and Barbie pink dresses. Wow! Because of Barbie, <laughs> I yeah. never did that. I never had like the <laughs> impetus to do that. And because you know, in in the past, you know, there there's a constriction, like a boa constriction. 
um, on my style because when I was coming up, I, I was kind of like anti-style when everybody sure. else was looking like Britney Spears or they were headed in that direction. I was like Miss Goth chick. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, well, I've, I've, I've maintained that myself. I never that, stopped. That all. high contrast look. Um, but it's kind of a style that, that is, is super conservative as I, I've arrived at the conclusion. Like that's a super yeah. conservative style. And a lot of Latinos will, will go for it, you know, easily sure. go for it. And, and there's other reasons why they gravitate towards that because it's, it's serious, it's stoic, it's, um, it's a reflection of, uh, you know, of, of very serious, um, you know, values that are, that are kind of direct. It's a direct style, like an arrow. Um, but it's, it's not diverse and it's, and it's, you know, it, it's limited. <laughs> yeah. Well, be, look at it's, how, it's really limited. Look at how many people all over the world wear the European style, like suits, right? Suit and tie, you know, and who, nobody's complaining about that cult, cultural appropriation, or even worse yet, you know, um, Chris Rock did a whole movie about this called Good Hair. Have you ever seen that one? No, maybe I should. Yeah, where basically, like, so there was a case where there was a kid, I think, on a wrestling team or something like that, who was forced to, to cut his dreadlocks in order for the coach to let him play or something like that. You know, wouldn't let him play on the team oh, if he didn't Oh, this is about cut. natural hair. Right, the natural hair. So that's what good hair is about, right? And so what's so crazy is that black people or people with kinky hair everywhere are cutting off or straightening out their hair because somehow their natural hair is not good enough for professional society. And, and, but, but they'll be forced to do that to wear European style straight hair or wavy hair or like even like you don't know how many guys especially black men wear like do rags in order to make that to, to to straighten out their curls a little bit more and get is that waved. They, is that what they're for? It's to, to to make their hair wavy, to to pull out some of the kinky cur small curls and make their hair wavy. Yeah. To keep okay, their I hairstyle. Had no idea. Like I, I just thought it was a it was a it was a thing. Like like it was just a hat. Like no, poor, part, yeah, so part of it is weird. to change yeah, part of it is to change the way that their hair looks. To make it more flat and straighter looking without without putting perm inside of it. You Did know? you know that there was a Texas law that's going into effect like now, um, like either today or last week or in the last few days, um, that you know it, it no one can be prohibited from wearing natural hair styles like dreadlocks or or braids or um, uh, you know your your natural uh, hair. And the, I was like, well, that's was pretty progressive of Texas. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty. I mean, we make black people here, so it makes sense. <laughs> but, I mean, there's so many black people coming out of Houston that you know, why not? Why not let their hair be their hair, and not yeah. you know let people just have their hair? That's how God made them. So. Oh my God, chicks on motorcycles. Why is that so hot? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're gonna have to fill in the blanks. Would you? Would you like to? You've been talking up here for over 35 minutes. Can I bring up William? I no. Oh yeah. Sure. Talk. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 You're good. I'm gonna bring I, you up to, for, to, um, to speak. And then I'm gonna I'll take William. Hakeem, 
it's a joy. Uh, okay, so I'm going to make right. you the next caller. Hey, William. Hey, everybody. How are you? Hakeem and Sheila. Hope you're feeling better. You get over that head cold? Oh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was Hello, rough, sir. man. Hey, brother. It was, it was rough all Saturday uh-huh. uh, and Friday, actually. From the time I got up in the morning, I was, I was just in a miserable place. I mean, yeah. that, that cold finally caught up with me, and I was, I was so beat up. And all I did was sleep all day. And then on Saturday, I just put on my PJs, and I just I was couch-bound, like, all day. <laughs> it was serious. <laughs> by Sunday, well, I started to, like, I got in my car and I went somewhere. But, you know, by Monday, I was, I was okay. But I'm glad I took a couple days out, and I just slammed zinc and... Um, this stuff called wellness. I should ask them if they want to advertise on this show <laughs> because they are so awesome. Um, uh, this this uh, this stuff called wellness, and it's this cocktail of like golden seal and echinacea and everything. But you're supposed to take it before, like right when you're just getting sick, um, and then it it it's supposed to kill it. It's supposed to knock it out. But I think I was just okay. kind of really overworked and, and I had been pulling, pulling strong and just like really, really hypervigilant for like so many days. And I'm like, I'm just trying to catch all the little, little news bugs that were coming out of the, the, and I just, I just, you know, it's happened before, but you know, it's not, I'm not proud when it happens. So, um, and plus we had just had talk about, um, Palestine and uh, a bunch of other stuff when we were talking last and the episode didn't make it for some reason. And oh yeah. What happened with that? The crawling wouldn't allow you to publish or something. Well, we it, lose it, that? Definitely, it definitely got lost. Uh, I can't, I can't bring, bring you an accounting. I can't. Oh, bring yeah. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Yeah. If you can, if you can kind of recall some of the things that you said about East Palestine at the front and then kind of sure. uh, chase that there. Alex Jones has been in the headlines for the last day, two days. And uh, let me just preface by saying that Alex Jones, I'm not necessarily a personal fan, but I, I recognize that he has been through an absolutely unfair ordeal um, as, as an FBI target. Um, and that guy has been an FBI target for since 2011 like they they just don't want him on the air npr went after him can you can you imagine that npr would go after anybody the way they do things a bunch of progressive milk toast weenies targeting targeting alex jones okay alex jones is a lot of things but he is a very burly you know in, in in the earth kind of guy. Okay. You know, the fact that the weenies at NPR are, are trying to tell uh, transgenderists to, to aim their pink pistols at them. You know, I, I just think it's really weird that that's the kind of stuff that's happening. Like how could NPR decide that they're going to, they're going to launch a, a, a fatwa against anybody, much less, Alex Jones. It's it's just weird. We're living in a really weird time. Well, I agree. Um, you know, I that kind of segues into one of some of the things I put in the live chat regarding uh, 
the Trump indictments, attorney Robert Barnes hosted on Viva Free and the comments he was making and the equivalencies he was making to the Alex Jones trials, which might be something you're interested in. I don't know if you want me to talk about it in this room or not, but, uh, well, we'll talk, talk about it a little bit because he's been in the news for the last couple of days. I think he was adopted by, um, I think mug culture at rumble. Like they, they, they kind of created a, uh, a protected castle for him and that's good you know they they anyone who's protecting his speech on the merit of protecting speech is a good thing you don't have to like what the guy says but if you're protecting his speech for the sake of doing so that is a that is a a, a good a public good and william what what is that organization that you were talking about that that's posting his videos and everything on YouTube? Basically yeah, thanks for. I was going to bring that up. It's called London Real, R E A L, London Real, the YouTube channel. Not only have they been interviewing Alex Jones, they actually post his whole episodes without any qualifications. Uh, his whole all his Infowars stuff, all his latest uh, material. Uh, if you go to London Real YouTube, you'll find it. He's actually on YouTube, um, which is positive, but uh, not as info uh, under London Real. It's unusual, but uh, they have enough money, those guys. One is the main owner. The two cogs are billionaires, so I guess no one wants to mess with them. And they have enough money to lawfare people into bankruptcy, including oh, they YouTube. Have the FU money. <laughs> they have the FU money. <laughs> Oh, they got, they, their FU money puts, uh, everybody to shame. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they got big bucks. They're out of the UK, major investment, uh, Mongols, you it's, know. It's nice yeah. for YouTube to be treated like a toy every now and then by people who are actually rich. Yeah. <laughs> so this is when I get to kind of enjoy other rich, like rich people. I'm not rich. But I enjoy it when rich people kind of school other rich people. It's so fun. Which, you know, I'm really looking forward to this octagon. Hakeem, have you have you got anything to say about uh, Elon Musk and uh, Mark Zuckerberg going into the octagon together? I thought that, um, that uh, Elon Musk backed down. I thought because he said his mother said he shouldn't do it. No, he, he totally, he went for it like two days ago. Oh, okay. I don't. I didn't know about that. No, I mean, I thought I had let go of the idea because I thought he had backed out of it. So, is it on, or did they already do it? It's on. Um, okay. A, a, there was a suggested date of uh, August twenty sixth, but Elon Musk hasn't like conceded to the date. But Zuckerberg is ready. He built the octagon in his backyard. He's been training for at least a month. He's like, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> Yeah, that should be interesting. I mean, you know, I, I saw some photos of him. He looks kind of jacked and like he might have been working out and if he's training. Anything can happen, like, you know, these Jake and John Paul guys, whatever, who've been all over the place. So it's possible that, you know, some guys who uh, um, came up as these uh, whole influencers and stuff like that and Zuckerberg owning a company, you never know. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, it would totally blow the stereotype that, you know, nerds are these, these one weak, like, uh, keyboard warriors that, that have no, no physical discipline. It would yeah, really blow would, that stereotype for me. 
Yeah, you know, I, I was always hoping that somebody like Elon Musk or something like that would be more like Tony Stark or, or Bruce Wayne, you know what I mean? Like, you have all that money, you should be freaking training like a ninja. You should be ripped. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that makes sense. You know, and, and the thing is, is that the the more comfortable I've gotten, I, I thought that the more uh, money that I would get or more comfortable that I become, I would I would be freer to, to, to be... You know, and I've gotten doughy. <laughs> like, comfort is more comfort. It's like, eh, cookie. <laughs> so I'm not very, I'm not very disciplined. <laughs> so uh, I have to make you proud. I'm give you, I gotta, I gotta get back on the treadmill and go for walks. But it's so hot here in Texas. Oh my God. It's really, it's really prohibition. If I want to, to do it, I have to find time in the cool of the morning to do it. So what I did today, was I um I di- I pulled weeds in my garden for probably forty five minutes and that was a good core workout. You don't need to hear that. Come on, William. Let us tell and, us the real. Yeah, tell us about some more about London Real and uh, finish up what Sheila was asking about um about uh, um, oh he has an update Alex with, Jones with, yeah and and East Palestine which is public interest that's really important. William, there are you there? Can hold on a minute. Hold on, hold on. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming back. I was no, I was in Google search. I was looking at Brian Rose, the owners of London Real. I was trying to get an asset. Uh, you know what they're worth. Um, I've heard the the old timer there, the main investor is actually a trillionaire. I don't know if that's true or not. And Brian Rose is a millionaire. Who knows? That's just what I've heard. I was trying to get some real evidence on it but they definitely have fuck you money because they they have they are hosting alex jones it's all we need to know the whole three hour episodes you know you name it it's all there on london real so um it's just so it's so great to hear them like okay because i have this cash you're not gonna throw me in the dirt you need this money so i will throw this down and and what's really it's just great it's just great go ahead william yeah, you know, Jimmy Dore is in that world because he asks, whenever he talks about vaccines, he's always got to qualify that, you know, the YouTube or whoever says the vaccine. <laughs> no, no, no. Alex Jones is completely uncentered on London Real. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's big. Fuck you, money. Amen. <laughs> so anyway, moving on from that. Okay, so which, what did you want me to tackle first? The Trump indictments and, and the Robert Barnes? Or do you want me to go into East Palestine? I'm a little confused. Do you want me to talk okay, about yeah, East Palestine? Let's, first, let's cover East Palestine because I think you had had some some updates about um, either the train or some research that came out, uh, and I think is super important uh, because you 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 looked at some of the research. I can't I can't remember it precisely. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll take I'll take it from there. I caught the pitch. I got it. Okay, I'm going to knock it out of the park now. You ready? You ready? Okay, so, okay, the the NTSB hearings, which took place, I lost track, about four weeks ago, National Transportation Safety Board hearings, reveal things that I've been talking to Katie Helpner about for months uh, on a useful idiot's calling. And here's the deal. First of all, the oxyvinyl chloride who owned the material, the vinyl chloride in the five cars that were, uh, tanker cars that were derailed, their reports to uh, Norfolk Southern and the EPA 
was no tanks ruptured, no polymerizing, in other words, no temperatures climbing. The uh, valves were functional. They weren't clogged for any off-gassing if needed by due to any pressure accumulation. They okay. three times they three times recommended that tanker trucks be brought in there. The standard operating procedure for that stuff be tump, uh, pumped into the trucks and hauled out of there. That so, was there. Uh, it was yeah. a normal situation after a standard derailment. It wasn't. It wasn't the catastrophic like spill situation that was presumed that would warrant a, 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 a hazardous material burn. Is that correct? Well, yeah, the little bit, uh, there's some nuance there that's important. Um, you know, there was a rail car that was full of vinyl pellets that are used for molding that allegedly caught on fire when the wheel bearing. So you did have flames there, but they have chemicals to put that out. So in other words, the rail cars with the toxic fluid Hazardous waste fluid was were not at risk of exploding. In fact, the temperatures were going down, not up. So we've been lied to about all that. The other thing that's relevant is that, well, it became apparent to me when they said they dug a burn pit because I know with my OSHA cert, HAZWAP or cert from operating heavy equipment sites, if that was at high risk of exploding and you know, injuring people with shrapnel, they would never put anybody within virtually point black blank range between range between the the rail the rails and the cars. You know, you'd be right there in the middle within you know who knows yards, and you'd be blown to smithereens, and they wouldn't risk a life to do that. So they would do what they could to suppress it. If it was polymerizing, they would excavate, I'm sorry, they wouldn't excavate, they would evacuate everybody in a certain circumference and and try and prevent it with uh, water suppression to cool it. You see, so when I went, right away, I thought we're not being told the truth. And I was reporting this to Katie at the time uh, over several call-ins. Right. And so, so now, now, the other thing is Cleveland 19 put up an EPA photo diagram, there were 22 derailed tanker cars with all various forms of everything from vinyl chloride to benzene products to ethylene glycol products to acrylates to uh, lubricant oils to you, all kinds of amounting. If each, each the capacity of each tanker car is 30,000 gallons. We don't know how filled they each were, say 25,000 to 30,000 gallons each. It's somewhere between six, 600,000 and 660,000 gallons of fluid. None of it was exported. All of it went up in flames. So we're being completely lied to about the, the, the extent of the catastrophe and whether or not it was necessary at all to even do it. Okay. And, um, now, um, you look at the level of dioxin with 600, say 600,000 gallons, just pick a number around it to 600,000 going up in flames in an incomplete burn. You've got not only phosgene, which is a gas that was used to, uh, in World War II, uh, cause it settles into the trenches to kill soldiers, a byproduct. You have dioxins, you know, that are highly carcinogenic. Uh, spreading all over that area, the whole Ohio River Valley, and depending on the atmospheric winds, only God knows where. 
okay? And that, what goes up must come down because it's attached to the soot particles due to incomplete combustion. And so it comes down and it does what? It pollutes the, all the growing fields, all the surface water that eventually percolates down into the well water. So let me break it in so that I can kind of break break this up a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Into manageable chunks. So we've got we've got the chemicals that could have been transported, and they they where was the job? There's a there's a great big gap there. You know, when did they go to uh, to a controlled burn? What was the reason that they jumped from Let's transport these these materials safely and whole to another location. To let's let's go to a controlled burn. What what where's the where did they make the jump? Right. Well, the derailment happened, uh, best of my recollection, Friday evening. The decision to burn was Monday afternoon. In the meantime, you had oxyvinyl chloride. The only one that they claimed was at risk. Reporting to them get it out of there, there's no risk of explosion. So then you ask yourself, now the report in the NTSB hearings is they dug two burn pits that had so much fluid to burn, not just one. So you got a guy on, on an excavator or two, I'm assuming two if not more, maybe one at each end of each burn pit, depending how quickly they want to get it done. And so up to two to four excavator operators within between the rails and the cars. So there's no way that stuff was at risk of exploding. They wouldn't risk the lives of those men. So that you know that's a, I knew we were being lied to right away. So then the, why did they burn it? I'll tell you exactly why they did it. They burned it. It's a cost benefit analysis to, uh, Norfolk Southern to get those, uh, tr- tracks open again. Rather than trying to export that volume of material out of there and tanker trucks and take the time to do it, which would have been a slow, long process. They wanted to get those rails open. That's why they burned it. There was no emergency cause to burn it that I can conclude. Another expert, I'm not an expert, okay. but other expert, experts and, and have concluded. Go ahead. From the last phone call that we did where, where it got, it got deleted or whatever. And what happened was that it was the actuaries at the, at the rail company um, that said, okay, we need, we need these rails open. So let's burn this hazardous material in this Ohio town uh, and, and spoil the soil because we need 15 minutes of track. Well, yeah, what happened there is, see, they burn it. They, all right, they burn it up. They backfill. They open the tracks. EPA, was there supposed, according to Biden, within two hours of the spill? So EPA is corporate captured. They 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 went along with Norfolk Southern over those period of days, despite what oxyvinyl chloride was telling them, who owned the owns the material in those five rail cars that they said were were of issue. So so EPA is corporate captured, and and so then they open the rails up. They get all the trains that are backed up, you know, moving, get everything going. That, that's why there was no way to open the rails unless they, uh, cleared there was no more emergency so people could come back into the town. If they had the rails shut down, the people wouldn't be back in the town. The whole thing was an uh, economic decision due to cost benefit analysis just in, in the minds of Norfolk Southern and whoever the pencil pushers are and the, their managers. So now what happened there is 
then the EPA comes down and says, okay, now you need to remediate the soil you've backfilled because it's all contaminated, obviously, in the pit and uh, whatever they're backfilled with. So what they did was they shut down one side of the tracks at the time. That way they still kept one side of the tracks open while they remediated. So they still kept the trains moving. You see, that was the goal. That's why they did what they did. And they pass on the environmental costs, the health costs, and, you know, the emotional costs on everybody around there. And they never do the right thing. We know that, uh, to, to, well, how do you compensate it was some? Actuarial, um, you know, I, I, this has got to be human indifference. I mean, it's just, it's the whole premise behind Fight Club. Do you remember Fight Club? No, go ahead. Okay. Fight Club is a movie, and it's about a guy who essentially, he can't sleep at night because he's an actuary. And his whole, um, he has to find the right amount of deaths per um, incident before there's a recall. Or the oh. You follow me? So he has to, yeah. he, he's, he's responsible for measuring the cost benefit analysis. Right. He, couldn't, he could no longer sleep. He became a chronic insomniac and then went summarily insane. He was an actuary. And so, because he had, he was responsible for, I guess, auto and in the auto wreck, like how many um, collapsed seats or uh, child car seat, uh, right? You know, flaws or 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 engine part failures would warrant a recall. And yep. so he had to find the cost benefit analysis. And you know, if it yep. wasn't if it wasn't one hundred fifty, it was one ten. Then people had to continue to die in order to mm -hmm. uh, qualify a recall by the company. What's the name of that movie again? Uh, Fight Club. And and so wow. the premise is that the guy is an actuary, and, and that's yeah. his, his story, and, and he can't sleep at night after after a certain amount of time. And he, he goes insane, and it's about his, his travel is kind of like this insane anarchist after that. So... He, he loses his mind essentially, yeah. and it yeah. completely becomes an. It, it, he just loses all morality. And, um, and Sheila, can, go ahead. You, you just broke the first rule about Fight Club. <laughs> you don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> that's 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 from the film. So yeah, enjoy yeah. the film. Um, but William. Get to your next piece because I think that was pretty important information. Because what you told what you told people that are going to listen to this is that Norfolk Norfolk Southern coordinated with the EPA to open the rail lines and you know burn things they they could have avoided burning and could have safely transported away. It just would have required more time. Uh, but because they're, they didn't want to, to buy the time and delay the trains, they poisoned an entire Ohio land and town. Did I get it right? Right. Okay, yeah, there's I, the I two, two more, 
Two more quick things. In the live chat, I put the EPA diagram that Cleveland 19 posted so people can see it. If you count the number of derailed cars and what's in each car, it'll jive with what I just told you all. So you can go down and you can see the diagram. You can see the the uh, list of chemicals on the top of the diagram. And you can do the math. Each tanker truck, uh, rail car, I'm sorry, had capacity of 30,000 gallons. So then there's your evidence. Because I always like to provide corroborating evidence. Now, the other thing that came out was there was independent testing agencies that went in, and I was going to look for that, and, and, I, and you know, I, I, I don't want to get cut off again while I'm searching. So, uh, and they did it. This fellow came in, and there's recent news, even in mainstream media, uh, we can find that even CBS, I think, covered it, where the level of dioxin, listen to this one, 27,000% to 164,000% higher than what would have been, uh, what would be a baseline, because everywhere is polluted, you know, nowadays. So that's the percentages of levels of elevated dioxin levels he found in doing testing in uh, East Palestine. 27,000% to 164,000% higher than what would be considered a normal baseline. So obviously the health effects those people are having and what they've been complaining about uh, has been legitimate despite the EPA's, uh, let's just say, minimizing at all costs what's really gone on there. So you have now, obviously, once the show ends, if I have some time, I can go fetch that and put it in my clip tray and put it in the live chat. Or that one's pretty easy to find. The one I just put in was uh, low on the algorithm, even using an alternate browser. So, okay, so we, <laughs> we no, really, I, I use Yandex. Forget about trying to use Google for anything that's sensitive they want to censor. So, anyway, um, Okay, so what, what, I'm, I got a little lost here. What, what did you want to move on from East Palestine to something yeah, else yeah, now? Let's, uh, cause we covered, we, we stuck it. You stuck it completely. Let's, you stuck the trick. So let's, uh, let's move on to, did we do Alex Jones or did we do it? I think we did. We did enough Alex well, Jones. And no, well, 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 real quick. The, the, okay, so attorney Robert Barnes is a constitutional civil rights attorney. He went to Yale, just to give you a little context who he is. He's hosted on Viva Frey, and Viva's a retired attorney, and he's doing other things like this uh, YouTube. He has a YouTube channel that goes over to Rumble, of course, when he wants to get in deep. So, okay, so Robert Barnes uh, on Viva Frey citing the fraudulent uh, Trump indictments, which I can talk about, and he was repeatedly making equivalencies to the Alice Jones uh uh, I call him the corrupted kid, uh, Pinocchio trials. And, but, you know, he was, the equivalencies revealed that it was all a fraud, the Alex Jones trial. So he's making equivalence between Trump indictment and what happened to Alex Jones. And I could talk about that. Or the other thing, I put that in the live <laughs> chat, the YouTube link. Uh, you can listen to it. I mean, uh, it's 45 minutes. It's obviously, I can give you a thumbnail version if you like, uh, if you have the time or if you want me to, or, or, you know, you tell me. Well, I mean, I think we should, you know, play it tight because we got that, that extra thing that you wanted to get to. Uh, which was the extra thing. The Trump indictment. Okay. The Trump indictments. Okay. So the, the Trump indictments, the equivalents are violations of free speech. 
the equivalencies to the Alex Jones. There are equivalencies that he was making, Robert Barnes. So I'll just mention the Trump indictments and you can connect the dots. So First Amendment rights of free speech, right? Also, let's put into context here. Fraud vitiates all, right? That's a legal maxim, maxim, okay? You have to consider the idea that Trump didn't believe that things were fraudulent and that he'd be charged criminally is absolute nonsense because you have the Biden Burisma laptop cover up by the DOJ that swung that election clearly. Do you see what I mean? So there is a false equivalency there. You know, like the, the level of crime ascribed to, to Alex Jones for what he did is, is very different from what they are doing. Very different. What, what Biden's doing? Yeah, yeah. What, what, what the DOJ is doing. Enterprises is, is, is and has done. Well, the, 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 well the, the principles hold fast, and that's violations of freedom of speech, First Amendment rights, okay? Right. Then if you understand, which you may not want to get into, what Wolfgang Halbig revealed in the FOIA hearings, fraud is fraud, and I, I won't go any deeper on that. So let's put that aside, Alex Jones. Okay, so... Uh, so you have violations of free speech. You, you have the fact that fraud vitiates all and the, 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 so Trump believing the election was fraudulent is sound. That's a reason to believe that. In addition, there's a report I put in the live chat, uh, from the University of Michigan professional. That is professional. not illegal either, William. No, there is no law anywhere that says if you disbelieve the results or contest the results, of a democratic election, it, it, you have done an illegal thing. There is That's true. there is no law that is enforceable anywhere that says it, it controls the property of belief. Okay, right, and that's what they tried to do. Exactly, exactly. And then the, you have other uh, relevant uh, matters. For example, very relevant, and that is the Dominion voting machines were proven to be fraudulent and capable of being hacked by a university professor, the link's in the chat, at Computer Science and Engineering, Jay Haldenberg, and security researcher and assistant professor at Auburn University, Drew uh, Swingal, worked together on this report and discovered a disturbing amount of vulnerabilities of the Dominion voting systems, image cast X systems, which could easily be exploited. Now, so that w report was buried by the Attorney General of Georgia for over two years, okay? And none of this has come, uh, whether it came out in court or not, when Giuliano and, uh, and Trump's attorney, Sidney Powell, how this, how we didn't hear about this, I don't know, other than supposedly it was suppressed by the AG of Georgia. So, okay. again, you have... Proof that the Dominion voting machines are hackable. Do never prove beyond a reasonable doubt they're not. You see what I mean? Because the reports are they are. So once again, there is nothing here that to hold Trump accountable to at all for believing that the, the election was stolen from him and that the machines are hackable. And and now they've made co-defendants his lawyers, which means you're criminalizing a, a client uh, attorney privilege. This is all insane. Yeah, this is on par with Navalny, right. and it, it's it's an actual joke. It's like Putin right. imprisoning Navalny, 
who was a Democratic opposition and his chief competition in a Democratic election. It's not different. They want to make it like it's different. It's not different. Right. Right. Oh, it's not. Mr. Blinken went on the record condemning Putin for his treatment of of condemning 19 years uh, Navalny to to an enhanced sentence for, this is the charge, domestic extremism. (laughs) What do you think they're trying to pin on Trump? Well, this is all kabuki uh, political theater. None of it will stick anyway. It, it, it's well, it's I mean, all a big extremism is a political charge. That's what I've learned through this through this process. If there's one thing that I have garnered or gleaned from this process is that terrorism charges and political extremism language is one. It's an enhancement in in terms of legal tent, you know, like legal prosecution. It has to be attached to a real crime. And then secondarily is that it is a political or a politically based or politically motivated crime. So it's what the state decides it is. And that is that that jurisdiction, uh, that 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 scope is is really being twisted and, and aggrandized and abused. And when we started down this road of counter terror, and counter-terror appropriations so that we could keep everyone safe. Um, they didn't prosecute a lot of terrorism charges. They prose- prosecuted a lot of crime. But to to make a terrorism charge stick, uh, they would have to they have to have a certain proof in a court system. And they didn't have that burden of proof established during the Bush administration. So uh, there was all this fight to, 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 to uh, you know, increase uh, the criminality around terrorism. Like terrorism is already a crime. Why, why is all the, you know, they were multiplying laws and, and multiplying budgets and trying to get more and more stuff around terrorism. And, and now what I've learned almost 15, 20 years later, da-da-da, is that this is a politics move. This is a pure politics move. We're here, and they said at the beginning, this is going to be used to politically persecute, because this is what is and has always been done with this type of, of power, emergency powers, and the powers to prosecute political crimes. Julian Assange sits in a jail cell on unofficial crimes in Belmarsh because of political criminality. Okay, he has committed no actual crime. He is in a bubble of falsehood. It's a cloud of legal falsehoods that is holding him hostage like a demon in Belmarsh prison in London. You pray for that man because the U.S. security state wants him to be killed as an example dove on the altar so that, that people will fear and worship the national security state. Well, I think that they're, they're in spiritually wrong on every level. And that has to be abolished. This practice 
of elevating a political crime to some absolute hysterical heresy to where now Trump is not, he's not a normal man. He is a demon. He is a warlock, an evil master wizard who must be pulled down in perpetuity and put into a dungeon. So let's indict him. So, I mean, it's, okay, and the thing is, I think uh, that if it wasn't Trump, William, it would have been someone else. Well, let, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. You, you brought, you brought, you, and then there's a lot I could comment on there and, and, and legal matters. Um, I'm going to bring it, let's bring it back to what Barnes is saying about the diamonds. We can, we can go into the bigger picture for sure. But, um, so you've got your First Amendment rights, free speech being violated, attorney client privilege being criminalized. You've got the Fourth Amendment right of, uh, uh, privacy and protection from illegal search and seizure being violated, obviously, the, right? That's right. clearly evident. Um, and that plays into the National Defense Authorization Act and the suspension of habeas corpus, uh, which violates the Magna Carta 1215 AD, yep. which that, right? You know about that. And so obviously yeah, they, they want to go ahead. Constitutional violations that they're just ignoring. They're like, don't see these. They're ignoring them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Then you have your Fifth Amendment and Sixth Amendment rights to due process and criminal that they're waving their nose at completely fraudulent by even prosecuting this case because you have things that are supposed to happen of due process also according to common law and case law that are being violated without giving you all the details. You can watch the video for that. And, and so... Those are Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights that are, you know, your rights in criminal proceedings that are being violated, according to the law, rule book, case law, common law, statutes, on and on and on. So this this is just an absolute fiasco. And then you have the charges that he somehow uh, 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 instigated a insurrection. Which we can unpack that and the shaman and Tucker uh, McCarthy videos and it's a Fed surrection and it's not an insurrection. You had the east side of the Capitol building where there was no violence whatsoever, where the doors were open, where gates were pulled aside, where, you know, on the west side is where all this pyrotechnics and political theater happened pursuant the Smith Month Act of 2012, which Modernization and, Act. And paid agitators that worked for the DOJ. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, don't forget the shaman was a six year naval veteran. Okay. You know, he, he, he was put up. I mean, you got to go beyond the, the surface and look at this and, and realize Ray Epps was definitely an instigator and yet he was never charged with a crime. Yet he's encouraging people to go in the Capitol and, you know, we're going to go in the Capitol, go in the Capitol. You have the crowd saying to him, fed, 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 fed. Right. So yeah, 60 minutes Everybody does the fucking. Everybody saw that. Everybody yeah. saw that. And yet. The whole thing they, is. They tried to clean him up. And put him on NBC and CBS and in these yeah. interviews. Did you see it's that? Preposterous. They have ruined my life. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> there are men who are sitting in jail cells who haven't received uh, counsel. This is this is a violation of our world. 
Oh, it is. In all the things that we are entitled to as Americans, it is a violation of our world. DC is is kind of like this. They are living in a hubris uh, gas bubble. I don't know what to call it, but it, they don't have they don't have legal reality about it. They're they're contriving a new government without us there. <laughs> All right, let me talk about a couple of things before we get off track. Okay, you have the Washington, D.C. chief of police that Tucker interviewed. That's why he got fired, because Fox refused to put it up, and he wanted to put up. It was Dominion voting machines. He invited Sidney Powell to come on, said, we'll give you the whole segment, we'll give you a whole week. She declined to do it. So he didn't say anything that invokes any liability for his position on Dominion. That's freaking nonsense. No, he now is saying he's going to, well, we'll see what happens. He intends to interview the Washington, D.C. chief of police again, who said the feds were all over this shit. We know they were from the federal oversight, uh, overreach committee hearings, you know, Jim Jordan and co, where you had the three FBI district uh, officers who refused to go along with their directives and were blackballed and basically laid off without pay and uh, demonized. Uh, and you had the Democrats try and demonize them as their whistleblowers. Don't look, Christopher Ray lied. The head of the FBI lied. This is all, they were all in on this. Okay. So that's, I mean, and what you have is you have these narratives and sound bites put out through the mainstream media, keep in mind, the Smith-Muntak of 1948 was suspended in 2012 with the Smith-Modernization Act Obama signed that was written into the National Defense Authorization Act. And what that does is that it signs into legislation that the State Department can not only propagate the domestic population, but pay media to do it, actually provide money to media to do it. That's the Smith Modernization Act of 2012, signed months before Sandy Hook. So this is all violating the 14th Amendment, if you think about it, which says basically in layman's terms that the government shall enact no laws against its population like this and violate the Constitution. So this, 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 this is what patriots need to stand up for, and I say that in, with all sincerity, to recognize what's really going on here. And then now there's other individual articles. You want to get into the actual 45-minute, uh, I'm just giving you a thumbnail version, the 45-minute diagnosis and breakdown. Oh, the other, the alternate electors. Well, when the, that the charge is that Trump, uh, you know, in, or the whatever, there were alternate electors assigned and that that was fraudulent. No, it's not, because when you have a fraudulent election, right, which clearly is, then alternate electors will be there ready to then, and, and, and you know. That, 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 <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We can, we can call alternate electors, but the electors have to carry the votes of the public either way. And right. This is this has gotten broad coverage. It doesn't matter if they get alternate electors; they have to carry the, the votes of the public. The either way, either way. So, I mean, the results of the election are determined based on the vote uh, count outcomes, and that's determined by the the Secretary of State, not necessarily uh, this hackle with J six. They're not the same. And, and if you wanted to contest. The results of the election, it, it's still legal. I mean, it, it, 
the problem is is that there is this this new religion around elected leadership this canonization or some kind of um you know we have an election every two years every four years for general election and the president this is not you know the 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 president is not a sacred object he's not an idol and if we ever get a, a female president she shall not be an idol okay the president is a government worker now when i say that there is going to be a a cast of people who all they will do is bend over and keen because I said that the president of the United States is a, is a public service worker in labor to the American people. And all they would do is bend over and keen because they are elitists who have made government a religion. And that's not my problem but they want me to pay for it. And I don't, I don't even really know what I'm saying here at this point because well, elections are, 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 are an article or a process of, of worship to them, but it's not, not to us. This is not a universal church here where, where you get to really participate. Elections are not for you to, to participate and elect a person. It is to make or prop up a dictator icon and and that's a very different perspective than the people who are are, are bowed over and keening because I am not showing the proper reverence to the dictator. Right, okay, right. Well, well this is yeah, for sure. And so, you know, this all started, of course, with the alleged terrorist attacks, which then, of course, everything spawned from there—the Patriot well, Act and political crime. Uh, after that, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and if you unpack that, like loose change, Alex Jones, it, frankly, it's come out that I'll tell you straight up. It's a Mossad CIA inside operation. That's it. That's everything else about it. We're being lied to. It's one conclusion you can make. The other conclusion that I can make is that this has been a slow, but, but an incremental slide of people who have assented, not consented, Consentative is active. Assented is to tacitly go along and then forfeit their available powers. They assented to political criminality, to the allowance of, of, of political criminality becoming um, a force with um police and law enforcement and national security muscle behind it. Okay. So. We, let, let's, let's get to the bigger picture right now because we're spinning around on domestic politics. The real issue here, Sheila, is that this is all coming from the central bankers and the people who own the wealth that they're managing. That's the bottom line. And that's, that's coming from the Bilderberg World Economic Forum Continuum. That's where this is all coming from. Our politics, the right, left wing. Is there another parallel government system? Nobody ever wants to look. They never want to be looked at. They know they're not our legitimate government. I know they're not my legitimate government. I'll never agree that they're my legitimate government. But because they believe that 
tacitly and they have this this tacit agreement with all whom are are in their covert hood of influence okay they have a tacit agreement that they are in charge have control can sanction and then they are delegated powers by our government in certain circumstances which they will and shall or they have abuse they just let's just say that they have abuse them okay that's that's Once what i wanted to and it's the internet in tandem you know via paypal and these other vesicles of, of internet pay uh, the, these these uh these younger versions of these older power brokers abuse their power right away and they became very very transparent they became very obvious for their ability to abuse the sanctions so go go ahead hakeem sorry you didn't mean to they, they, no, no, that's that's what I wanted to um, <coughs> when earlier when I was talking to you, that was the one of the main things that you had mentioned that I wanted to learn more about is how you said there basically is a financial um, operation, if you will, that is a, um, a parallel arm of government. They're not really government, but they control government or they make policy and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, alongside so yeah that's and that's kind of my purview is is in the whole financial world and some of the things that I'm seeing and learning that are just it's absolutely incredible I mean I in my opinion there is there is a parallel government that is basically the banking system so I, I wonder what William has to say about that too. yeah I think he's on to something okay yes if you look at well, you can go right back to the foundation of the Federal Reserve Bank mm-hmm. and uh, the founders of the Federal Reserve, uh, the central bankers, which really uh, come from the London City, uh, Switzerland, the Western Central Bankers, uh, the First Bank of America. Uh, they, When Andrew Jackson fought that, they tried to kill him. The Second Bank of America, when Lincoln was fighting that with the greenback, they killed them when JFK came out with the civil certificate to take back control of the money of this country. They killed them. That's what's going on. And the CIA and the FBI work for the central bankers. Let there be no mistake. They do not work for us. That's not a government of by and for the people. It's, it's been hijacked. It's been one with the central bankers from its inception. And any attempt to thwart that ends up with people dead. That's the bottom line. So, so you have right now, let's bring into the present. You have BlackRock, Sequoia Bank, State Street, uh, just to name a few. And there's many more, including B of A and Goldman Sachs, all the central bankers who are all interinvested with one another. Let's not forget. And all the major corporations. So we're looking about $70 trillion worth of asset management in the hands of the banksters. That's the bottom line. Okay. So they are the government, but not be no mistake. And their think tanks, the Council of Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, or their front men, World Economic Forum, uh, uh, you know, the banksters, on and on and on. The, they are, are, are merely there, uh, to confuse us because, okay, what does the Trilateral Commission do? What does the Council of Foreign Relations Committee do? What does is, what is the World Economic Forum do? They all work together. That's what they do. And if you look at the cabinet of any president, even Trump's, you're going to find it loaded with those people. 
including the military-industrial complex uh, revolving door, the pharmacy, pharmacist, you know, pharmaceutical revolving door, the transnational corporation revolving doors, and the banksters manage all their money. You see? It's all about the money. Right. And then you go to the next level. Who owns all that? Who owns all that asset? The majority of it. Where's the big money? We're talking the supranational money. Where's that coming from? You see what I mean? Because yeah. obviously you get it. So there, you, then you got to look at the Italian mafia, you the Dimitri family, the English mafia, i.e. the Windsors. You know what I mean? Let's call them what they are. You know, the Hotspurgs, the Warburgs, the, and I don't have all the names memorized, but, but they're, they're the ones, the old European money that frankly, families that interbreed to keep the power and the money in that level, you know, and they've been, they, you know, you got the, the Rothschilds, the, for example, there's another one for that matter, the Kennedy family is believed to be in that, in that level. And this is all been talked about and cited by Ustas Mullins, who was an Air Force veteran, uh, served in World War II, and a, a great man who was a great, great patriot, who you can find lots of YouTube videos on Ustas Mullins. He died in 2010, um, and then also Dr. John Coleman, the Committee of 300, who talks about this, uh, who really rules the world. Uh, you've got uh, Peter Phillips with Giants, that came out in 2018, Sonoma State University professor. These people all see this. You see what I mean? And it's all about following the money. That's the bottom line. So those are the rulers. The politicians only have so much power, very little limited actually on the federal level. If, if you, if you study the Princeton, uh, North, uh, Northwestern, Report, uh, Professor Gillens and Page, 20 year study on what laws get passed on the federal level. Uh, bottom line is it's all based on the lobbyists and the corporatocracy because your vote means nothing on that level. That's, that's well, Princeton. I mean, they're not, they're not government actors. They're, they're, they're not government actors. At that, at that place, you know, there's there's no democracy in in that. That's sense. right. There is no democracy. That's right. That's not that's not democracy. There's no democracy there, and there's no agreement with you. That's but right. They have, they have some kind of um, public private uh, gray area in which they operate, so that they can they can reach you, they can touch what's yours. Um, through through profit and loss and and uh, savings and loan uh, and through banks, but but there are supposed to be qualified limits to what they can do, and the government has a ro role and a responsibility to protect the consumers against banks' insipid interests uh, to 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 behave in a predatory and and overtly controlling manner okay I'm, I'm just telling you what is 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 true it's the north star okay this is what is supposed to be and what our government is is in, in that's what they're supposed to do if i tell you what they're supposed to do and what they're legally obligated to do then you'll reflect upon that and say there is a deviance here there is a corruption here and i don't yeah. want you to think that this is normal that's that's all i want that's all i really want to say Absolutely. You know, something on that, too, is, again, 
you know, finances and capitalism and the workings of money is um, when you said, you know, savings and loans. And um, it's very interesting how a lot of this is controlled by information um, and, and letting certain people know how certain things work. Because the interesting thing is, is that, you know, I've learned that one of the predatory ways that that money is taken from people is through savings. A lot of savers are actually losers because of the interest rates. Whereas people who know how to use debt when the interest rates are low, they actually get richer. So this is one of the ways of widening that gap between rich and poor is you encourage poor people who have no financial education or are afraid to take risk with their money through investing or starting businesses and things like that. Oh, to put their money, into, yeah, to put their money into savings when the interest rates are so low, they're not. It's not keeping up with inflation. Whereas if you if you borrow that same money, if because you want to buy a piece of real estate or something like that, you're rewarded because the interest rates are so low. So the same interest rates on money benefit those who know how to use it. The usually the rich. And it takes away from those who don't know how to use it, people who don't have the financial education or understanding. And so it's it's a really interesting thing. And the only thing you have to do is just not let them know. It's, you know, they're not necessarily doing anything illegal, but is it ethical? Is it moral? Uh, and, and that's where a lot of that comes from. People don't know and, these and things. Don't, yeah. don't expect morality. Don't expect morality when it's not a moral system necessarily or a system that has values attributed to morality. Um, because their only morality is actually money. And if you have less of it, they think you're a bad person. Yeah. That's, so, that's all there is to it. And they, so they you have that. You are, sorry. They think if you have less money that you are a bad person. Right. And and that's what a lot of people mistake, too. The, the whole idea with the race wars is really a divide and conquer thing because it has nothing to do with race, really. That's a that's a, another smokescreen. It really has to do with what you just said. It's a it's a class war really an economic war if you don't have enough or don't know how to um then you're seen as lesser of a person and that's the you know that's the biggest sin of omission is just not letting people know not teaching these things in school and so you can have a controlled class and of course you know anybody can get the information it's just that not everybody thinks that it's out there like the thing i was talking about earlier about you know taxes for example hardly anybody knows that you know, so if you can keep a certain class down or just and it's really about um, it's a knowledge class. It's info wars, just like the name of Alex Jones show where mm-hmm. we're held on a prison planet by information wars. Well, let, let me let me get to this. This breaking news piece. Project Veritas has busted, you know, co- they do these covert camera busts every now and, and, and they're famous for this stuff. But Pro- Project Veritas has busted one of Biden's transition team members who who's i think still actively engaged with with the president um i think he basically indicated that it was an actuarial that again it's that actuarial science that that says okay well the the we're gonna lose money here if we don't you know shut the rail line so let's poison this town it was the same logic that said okay well, we're going to convey these 80,000 children into HHS, but then after they go in there, we're not going to care what happens to them because, you know, we don't, we're, we're, we don't have the, the budget qualification to do so. So, I mean, there was an actuarial resignation. It was a financial move. 
to just betray these 80,000 children assumed into the HHS system into the wind. This is one of the biggest national liabilities from the migration debacle that you can even think of. 80,000 children is a large number. Gentlemen. That, that is that is a huge number. If, if you listen to Tara Lee Rodas' testimony from the Congress, the HHS whistleblower, you'll find that the U.S. government is basically directly involved with sex trafficking children, labor trafficking. Listen to her testimony, and it's shocking. But by the policies, they found children, 20-plus children, to, in, in the homes of people that weren't thoroughly vetted, some of them with crime syndicates. I mean, it's shockingly evil what's going on. And, and so Tara Lee Rodas, her testimony in front of Congress, search for it. It's, you'll find it on YouTube. That was uh, within the last three, four weeks. I lost track of exactly when. And that brings up the sound of freedom. And uh, there's a whole nother layer to this that uh, I can, in a nutshell, put out there that uh, James Fetzer uh, has articles about that uh, Hakeem and I discussed and we talked about in one of my rooms. And also uh, the Reese Report, which is part of InfoWars, by the way. And the um, bottom line is that The Sound of Freedom wants is narrative control. That's the message. It's a spooky... Faraway Contras, you know, or, or, uh, uh, you know, Colombian cartels, I meant to say, or, you know, Mexican cartels. The fact of the matter is 80% of the kids sex trafficked in this country are, come from child protective services. Those are the numbers. Okay. Uh, uh. Yep. Then you, yep, yep, yep. And then you have Terry Lee Rodas reports and then think Epstein. Mm hmm. Think that level. Because that's all part of it. In other words, the, what, what is, what could be nailed, named the predatory elite class predatory sex trafficking is where we really need to be looking. So rather than making it, I mean, yes, the cartels are part of it, but the narrative control in the movie is making it about faraway lands, faraway people when it's right here in the Catholic church, the Mormon church, for example. You have Dynacorp, remember Cynthia McKinney on the weapons manufacturer sex trafficking, the UN sex trafficking, the UN peacekeeping force, you you have the Boy Scouts, you you have colleges and universities, Sandusky, Penn State, you in other words, the US Olympic Committee, you know, on all levels, high levels of power, right? Think about Clinton on the Lolota Express, the plane to Epstein's Island in the flight logs 24 times. Clinton goes nowhere without the Secret Service. Trump goes nowhere without the Secret Service from the 2016 Clinton, same thing. From before, while he's running for office, because he was, you know, actually a chosen candidate, and right through to the, his death. Same thing with Prince Andrew. He goes nowhere without the Royal Secret Service. The Secret Service knows where these men are and what they're involved in. You see? And so does the DOJ and the FBI. So you have law enforcement look the other way, and you had you had uh, Cynthia McCain 
say, uh, you can find her saying online uh, publicly that they all knew what Epstein was up to. They all knew McCain's widowed wife, senator, Republican senator, they all knew, but they couldn't get civil authorities to do anything about it. And then you have you have Robert David Steele, who's uh, passed away in 2021, that was chief counsel for the International Tribunal of Natural Justice, uh, ex-CIA U.S. Marine officer. And what he says about that, Hakeem and I were revealing this and uh, in one of my rooms and tying it together and pulling back the veil on it. And, uh, of course, uh, it's much... Okay, uh, okay, William, I know it's a big package, but... If we can just focus on the HHS, and then I gotta go take a shower. This is I've had it. <laughs> I mean, nothing's dirtier than, than you know losing eighty thousand children to people who are going to enslave them, traffic them, right. sell their organs. Right. Well, that's I mean, one thing. The international. There's nothing filthier than this. There's nothing worse than a. There's no high lower forfeit of your commission as as a government protector of children than to forfeit the protection. Yeah, but yeah, but 800,000 kids go missing a year in the United States. 8 million worldwide so far, what they're counting according to the let's International Tribunal. Let's just focus on the HHS. And uh, I know this is the outrage industrial complex is, is broad. But let's just try to focus on this one piece, and then I absolutely have to go take a bath. This is gross. Well, uh, I would suggest people search for Tara Lee Rhoda's uh, whistleblower testimony in front of Congress. If you know, want to know about HHS, um, and she spills the beans, and uh, what she uncovered. And she was retired, uh, retaliated against, and bumped out of her position. She's gone, hopefully, with a new uh, uh, government coming uh, upon the well, election. She'll her. be brought in. You really want to work for an agency that is so corrupt and, and, and derelict? Would you really want to work for that agency? Well, what we need is DeSantis. We need new blood in government. We need someone who's not going to cut out to the corporations or the transnational corporations, including the World Health Organization. And uh, although he's a he's a kind of a, a, a war hawk, but aside from that, he's done a lot of good. And uh, and we need some new blood in there. He said he would bring RFK Jr. on in as part of his cabinet if if he was elected. So we need some new change. Uh, uh, people want to believe in Trump what they want, but look at his cabinet. Follow who he, who he, who he assigned. You, once well, you break that down. Uh, he's in a proving position right now, and uh, as are all of them, they are still out there to earn our vote. And so Ron DeSantis has got a decision to make. And he had, uh, he had made a very visceral comment about the deep state. We're going to slit throats day one that's what he said about the deep state now i think that that's certainly figurative language but there's a lot of traitors embedded in the deep state who have zero right. interest in 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 the the sovereignty of our government they they, they don't care about us they well i mean the list of, of wrongs is long but i think his his chosen speech was figurative the very next day maybe Maybe 12 hours later, um, Robert Bigelow of Bigelow Industries, aerospace contractor, the guy who used to own Skinwalker Ranch, okay, 
um, uh, who has proven anomalous behavior in, in aircraft. He is deep national security aerospace. He donated to, to Ron DeSantis and he says, if you don't go moderate, I will I pull my money. I will pull my purse. Mm-hmm. And I, I told Ron DeSantis in every way I could. Okay. I told his, I told his, uh, his, his digital bots. I wrote his campaign. I called Chip Roy and I said, you tell that man to return Bob Bigelow's money. Give him back his money because he has no intention of doing anything but controlling you and moderate to a national security contractor is Obama. And Obama did nothing but write checks to the national security state so that you could be surveilled for counterterrorism. Right. Counterterrorism has got to go. It can be split up into other agencies. Crime can be crime. People will go to jail for the bad things that they do, but it won't be a political crime. Right. Okay, I, I've got to go, gentlemen. I thank you so much for all your contribution, your time, and your and your and your wonderful right, intellect on this on this show. Um, Same here. I have to I have to cap it. Yeah, much appreciated. Yeah, and, and we right. will see you guys soon. All right, William, Sheila, y'all all have right. a good night. You too. Take care. Both of you. Bye.